Mary, I want you to be careful tonight. Your mother tells me the place you're going is in a bad neighborhood. Oh. I will, Daddy. Hey, no bra? Of course not. Nobody wears those anymore. Nobody except us drill sergeants. Yeah, but look, Estelle. You can see her nipples as plain as day. Daddy, don't be so clinical. Welcome to the Civi Podcast. Uh, this is the first of our October shows. I have no real explanation for this except for exhaustion and a toddler in my house coming up to work. So um, we're going to try to end October with a bang with a couple of shows for you guys. We had a whole slate of shows planned and this one's happening and then we're going to litter the other ones throughout some other some other months and we'll uh, we'll get to them all eventually. But I am your host, Gary Hill, I mentioned and with me tonight is Iris. How you doing? I am doing wonderful. Just here in very soggy, wet Seattle. Woo! It's a little rainy here too. A little, little uh, well, fall is here. Let's put it that way. Oh hell yeah! For about two weeks, and then we'll have winter. It's a uh... <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my gosh, Suzanne's here. How you doing, Sue? Oh, I'm dealing with uh, windy Chicago, wet, nasty. Allergy-ridden fall. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that, that would knock some shit in, don't it? Yeah. Knocking, knocking down some trees today, so it was a good time to have I all there. And, and with us, because I messed up the name of this podcast during my post, and I apologize profusely, Scott Crawford is <laughs> here from... The Podcast by the Cemetery. There you go. Beautiful. How you doing, <laughs> sir? I'm doing good, Gary. How are you guys doing? Fine. Uh, excited uh, to be talking about these wonderful movies tonight. Cool. Woo-hoo. Just in case folks don't know, know you're a you're a brother of ours on the Legion Network. Tell us about your show. Well, at the moment, it's been on a bit of a hiatus. I think our last episode came out in February, but uh, me and my other co-host Tim are going to kind of restart it. Whether it's going to be under the same name or not, who knows? But we uh, started off doing like themed episodes because uh, it was me. Randall and Tim. Tim is not much into horror films, so Randall and I are the horror movie gurus, and we would just kind of submit him to different films and kind of get his take on it while, you know, discussing the films ourselves. And usually it would be a pretty interesting and find out what he likes and dislikes. And uh, we'd usually talk about uh, different heavy metal or like kind of like horror music uh, related to the theme. And we would talk news and what we've been watching and whatnot. Cool. Um, yeah, the first thing we do on this show every time is ask the guests what they've been watching. So I'll ask the guest, Scott, what's he been watching lately? Oh, boy. Well, I did my, like everyone's doing the 31 days of Halloween. Well, I I do 61 days of Halloween starting September 1st. And 
Uh, I'll just go over what I've watched over the past weekend, which uh, was a Friday night. I ended up uh, checking out for the first time ever Devil's Reign starring William Shatner, Tom Skerritt, and uh, Ernest Borgnine. Oh, that movie was awesome. It's a winner, oh, that's man. classic. Classic, classic, yes. That is classic. Yeah, I, I can't believe it took me this long to finally check it out, but I'm definitely happy I did. And what was it? Saturday I ended up going over Buddy's house, and we watched uh, Candyman and Childs play on a 100-inch screen outside around a bonfire, which was really fun. And then Sunday I ended up watching two other movies i never seen before, uh, Lucky McKee's The Woman, which was way more fucked up than I expected it to be. <laughs> And uh, then I watched Bag Boy, Lover Boy, which was very weird and bizarre, but I really liked it. I, I know what the other ones are, but what's, what's this Bag Boy, Lover Boy movie? Uh, came out in 2014. Uh, it's uh, got about a guy that was a hot dog vendor that gets uh, uh, meets a dude that is a uh, photographer. And the guy wanted to have him come back and model for him and promised, like, hey, if you come back, I'll show you how I'll teach you photography and teach you the art of it and all this. So. He keeps going to these modeling sessions and gets put in these weird situations where he's like getting covered in blood and like posing with all these like beautiful women, but then t- being told to like start strangling these women and like putting plastic bags over their heads. And uh, then that guy gets called away on another job and leaves him as leaves this guy's camera and basically tells him like, yeah, if you want to, you know, do this type of stuff, you can use our studio. You can, uh, if you want to get the beautiful models, all you got to do is just go up to some women women on the street and just talk to them and try to convince them to come up to the apartment. And uh, one thing leads to another, and he kind of misinterprets everything and starts, like, actually killing them and taking pictures of them and stuff like that. Sounds bizarre, like some H.G. Lewis shit, but, uh, you know, modern day, in a way, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very, uh, very strange, and the character was a... Uh, very socially awkward character, which kind of even made it more bizarre. But imagine so, yes. <laughs> I'll check it out though. It sounds it sounds like it like my kind of strange. Uh, kick yeah, I think out. you'd get a kick out of it. Yeah, Kiki the Iris next. What you been watching, girl? Well, I kind of been watching a little bit of horror. Imagine that. Fancy that, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So. <clears throat> I watched Halloween, of course, the original with the beautiful Jamie. And then I watched the 2018 one, and I had so much fun with that. It was, for me, it was lots of fun to watch that one. A lot of cute little Easter eggs in there and all that. And what's interesting is that Lynn sat and watched it with me, so that was fun. And then um, we also watched uh, The Thing, of course. Classic. Yes, and yo, dun 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 dun. God, I love that soundtrack. And um, then I, <laughs> I got her started and hooked on Mind Under. So we're watching the first season to catch her up, so we can both start the second season, which is really oh, good. You're in. you're in for such a treat. Oh, I can't wait. I'm kind of like, are we done yet with the season? Come on. Um, let's see what else. And I also have a we um. I started watching the Hell House LLCs. They're kind of interesting. I mean, I hate found footage, but these aren't that bad. At least the first one isn't because there's not a lot of found footage on the first one. But we'll see about the second, third, and fourth. But it, it's kind of fun. I, 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 I love haunted house movies, so I'm having fun with things moving around and people getting possessed and shit, so... Oh, you know, 
I'll tell you guys how it, it turns out. But besides that, that's pretty much it. Cool. Uh, Suzanne. Oh, God. Uh, I, too, have been watching some horror movies. I know everyone's shocked. <laughs> um, I also am a big fan of the Hell House LLC. I, be honest, I really like the first one. The first one sufficiently creeped me out. I was home alone. Yes. And, of course, horror movie rules applied about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. All the lights off. There is a there is a few scenes in the basement where I got a little bit jumpy. I had to go turn on all the lights in the house, make sure everything was locked, and I had to go check out the basement because I swear to God, one of my cats was down there fucking with me. So yeah, they're really good. I I'll be honest, I'm not a huge fan of the second one, and. I really can't wait to watch the third one because every time I turn it on, there is some form of distraction. So I have yet to finish it. I also watched a couple of movies. Well, one movie that had been on my list for a long time to see, and I never did, which was Here Comes the Devil. It was a Mexican horror movie. Very, very, very well done. Very creepy. Um, basically about this family that kind of go on a mini vacation. You could tell the mom and the dad are having some issues and they're well, maybe preteen kids go off on a hike and they don't come back. So police are called, everyone's freaking out and they come back, but they're not quite the same as they used to be. But I mean, once again, some great creepy imagery. I also watched, uh, Elzabeth, which is on Shutter, which was uh, it's got some pretty I wouldn't say the imagery is very graphic, but the idea behind the imagery is pretty fucked up. Also a fantastic movie, partially subtitled, but Tobin Bell is in it. And everybody knows who he is, so I'm not gonna go into any grand explanation as to who he is. <laughs> but he plays this uh basically disgraced priest. It's one of those movies I really don't want to talk too much about it because you need to find out what the the whole story is for yourself or you're going to be disappointed. Gotcha. So I highly yeah. recommend both of those. Um, oh, geez. I bought a bunch of movies that I've not even sat down to watch yet. So hopefully by next time I'll have some of these knocked off. Were you playing on the Kino sale again, girl? They had a Kino sale and... The Arrow oh, Sale and the... What yeah. was the Kino Sale? I think it's still going on. I'm not sure. Oh, shit. Okay, I guess I know what I'm going to do after the podcast. <laughs> is yep. Damn you, Kino Sale. broke for me? <laughs> I picked up, I swear, like 20 movies. Oh, jeez. And, uh, God, there is a Shout Factory one going on, but I, there's Shout Factories, unless it's something you really, really want, and it's a little cheaper than normal. They're not worth it anymore. All they do is keep triple dipping. Like, oh my god, they have the special edition, a normal edition, then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they've got a steelbook. Yep. So, you may as well just wait, because if you want a steelbook, eventually, they're gonna have it. Yeah, they're just starting to piss me off a little bit. Um, I picked up the Severin August box, which was the wax mask, and Killer Crocodile 1 and 2, which... I cannot wait to actually watch one of them. Nice. So yeah, that's pretty much uh, in the in the works this week. 
Yeah, we haven't recorded for a bit, so I'll 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 draw off some titles that I watched for 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 October or whatever because I, I there's a lot available on Prime, so I said I'll watch some of these movies. I rewatched Waxwork, which is a film that I I don't necessarily enjoy all the way. So I'm big I'm big fan of giving films like Redemption stuff that people seem to enjoy that I not shit on, but you know I just I'm not really a huge fan. You know I was a little fussed about and. I still don't see all the fusses about because when you look past the stuff that were there inside the exhibits, you know, the, the supernatural exhibits, the rest of it's kind of trash. So I just don't care about the characters. So if they all die in the wax enclosures, I, I just I just don't care. And none of the characters were really likable in that movie. But yeah, I think it's I think it's mainly all about the uh, actual museum set pieces and the monsters. Yeah, but David Gale is was it da- 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 no David Warner? I'm sorry. David yes, Warner, David Warner. Gale, David Warner. It's uh, <laughs> r- real fine as uh, the the snarky waxwork owner. And that's that's always good. Zach Galligan, you suck in this movie, but I, I still really love Deborah Foreman. So th- there's that. Um, what else? I watched uh, a lot of stuff on Prime. By the way, I watched Mutant with a uh, good old Wings Hauser, and I think was it Bo Hopkins, uh, Su- Suzanne. Yeah, yeah, Bo Hopkins, young Lee Montgomery, who was in some stuff in the eighties too. Yeah, fun, fun, fucking movie about toxic zombies in a small town. It's it's a, uh, it's just it's it's, it's kind of it's a lot. It's a really good time. Um, I, it's very 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 nice print on uh, Amazon Prime right now, which is they're really good for sometimes putting that Blu-ray rip on the, on the, on their streaming services, and I appreciate that for them. Uh. One, I think Vinegar Syndrome put out, or several, I forget which one, uh, Wacko, um, Graydon Clark's Wacko, which is a fun horror spoof, and I, I can't quite tell you what's going on in this movie all the way, but George Kennedy's weirdly perverted throughout the whole thing, and <laughs> he seems like he has dementia, I don't know, but it's it's a, it's one of the great, it's one of those horror spoof movies, like Student Bodies or something like that, that... What is the basic idea of that one? Because it sounds so familiar, but I can't uh, place it. Okay. Oh, oh, it's all coming back to me now because the shit's so fucking absurd. There, there's um a guy who who wears a pumpkin on his head with a very phallic nose who kills people with, with a lawnmower. And the begin the opening of the movie is the woman the the the, the woman who who becomes um she's like a teenager like basically they're they're going to the Halloween dance her and um. The guy who, pl- who plays the leading joysticks is in this movie as her boyfriend. Oh, nice! Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, her sister is is killed by this lawnmower killer in the be- the beginning of the movie. So ever since then, like the sound of the lawnmower terrifies her. But for some reason, <laughs> when, when her boyfriend gets horny, he makes it sound like a lawnmower. So <laughs> it's it's all stupid gags like that. So she's terrified of her boyfriend because he makes he makes lawnmower sounds when he gets horny. So it's oh it's, it's, that, it's that kind of movie. <laughs> And, uh, I gotta see this. Oh, I do too. Somebody has somebody has a nice print. I, I, I want to say it's Vinegar Syndrome is out, but the the copy on Prime is not very good, so it's like less than VHS quality almost. <laughs> that might add to it, though. Oh, it's, it's, it's it, it is wonderfully absurd. <laughs> oh, what else? I watched a movie called Pol- um, Polaroid. I think it's from this year, last year. It came out this year. But it seems like it was released a couple of years ago in its country of origin, which I think is Sweden. Um, basically, it took all the all the best parts about those Asian films in which you know somebody either watches a video 
or somebody takes a picture and that person's going to die, and they put it in this film about a, a haunted Polaroid camera that belonged to this, this man who killed kids, supposedly. I don't want to get into all the plot points because it, it, it's a plot that doesn't suck. It, it works really well. Mitch Pelegi, um, the shocker himself, uh, the, the head of the, the FBI in uh, X-Files shows up as like the, the sheriff with a past, and he's, <laughs> he's real fine. But, you know, the plot is kind of shaky. But the, the problem, big problem with this movie is is that it reminds you of those movies that are so much better than that movie. So you want to watch those movies rather than this movie. Well, it sounds very familiar to one I watched a few years ago on Netflix called Smile. Maybe. And basically, same premise. Uh, some tourists find this Polaroid camera in a store, some pawn shop or secondhand shop while they're traveling someplace. And it basically, you, when they take a picture of you, you're next to die. Yeah, this this took a lot of elements for different things. One, one thing I thought was interesting, though, is like the pic, the Polaroid pictures themselves had like supernatural powers, in which there's a point in the film where somebody sticks a pencil through one of the the Polaroid pictures of the, the, that their friends in, and he feels the pain of the 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 thing in his hand, of the, the pencil in his hand in real life. And I thought that was an interesting element of the movie that the pictures themselves were haunted. So, okay. yeah, it's, it's, it's different. It's not very good, but it's different, so it kept me, it kept me interested. Um, what else? There, there's other stuff. TV. TV's back, so I can say that this season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is really funny. Probably. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's great. If, if you want to watch an episode in which Dolph Lundgren shows up as Thundergun in cutscenes, uh, that happens this season, and... A lot of other wacky stuff happens. I, I I love it, you know. If you don't watch, it's always sunny. the The biggest uh, appeal to Thunder Gun is that he hangs Dong in the movie, and this is why they're gonna go see it apparently. And you know, this one he he does not hang Dong, and they're part of a focus group, and it's 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 just them talking about how the movie can be better, and Dolph Lundgren acting out the scenes as they're talking about them. So, if you oh, it is watch, fantastic. If you gotta watch one episode. You can watch that one for sure. Um, I haven't dived into too much more. I watched South Park because of all the, the China controversy. I, I I had to see what they were doing, and then I saw it. I was like, "Yep, I see why you want to be why you're going to get banned in China now because that's just bad to that country." You know? Yeah, my my roommate and I watched that episode, and we're like, "Yep, they're going to get banned." And then, sure enough, like a couple days later, that came out saying they're banned there. I'm like, "I I'm not surprised." <laughs> Randy Marsh tried to sell marijuana to the Chinese. It didn't work out too well. Nope. Uh, oh, God. It's it's hilarious. Oh, God. Stan Marsh has a death metal band. <laughs> oh. Yeah. What? Yeah, not, not, not every season's great, but it, this season's picking up for me, I I think, and I, I really dig it. And I, I, I have not watched any Riverdale yet. I have not watched any hero stuff yet, so I'm not going to talk about that, but that stuff's good. And, um... I'll kick it to our next segment, which is the Beef Bitches and Mashed Potatoes. Okay, who gets the burly uh, beef? I ordered barbecue beef. I think that's mine, but I didn't who order gets fries. Who the barbecue beef? Mine's the Jeep Deluxe. Okay, who gets the burly beef? I'll start with I guess Scott. Uh, anything getting your craw, brother? Anything making you you mad in the in the media or in the world? Uh, I, I don't have I don't I have a um, 
a loose no politics uh, in this, but you know, if if you feel the need, I guess go ahead. You know, no, I don't. I I kind of try to stay away from that crap if I can't help it. But uh, uh, no, I think the only thing that I'm just uh, been kind of just shaking my head at and kind of mocking, even though I'm sure I'll go see it when it comes out, is how they keep announcing for Halloween Kills. Oh, so and so is returning. Oh, so and so is returning. Oh, so and so is returning from part one. Like, and they're just bringing every single person back from part one. And I'm going, what the fuck's next? The station wagon? <laughs> I mean, hey, oh look, my God. Hey, look, that's it's all the they head. keep talking about. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's all they keep talking about. It's like, I don't care. Just, just keep quiet and just start talking about it when it gets closer to being done. I don't really care about any of this right now. I, I, I see that toilet, and I can't place where I've seen it from, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. It was from the first movie. Oh, yeah. okay. They have mowed that lawn in a very long time. No, I'm with you, man, because um, they, they, they've been they've been tacking on people like like Charles Cypress, who's a very old man, so I, I'm sure his role will be very minimal. Kyle Richards, who's got a lot of money, so I give two fucks about her, man. Just just. You just bring it back to bring her back, and then they hired uh, Anthony Michael Hall to be Tommy Doyle, and this, this is the best thing about this whole, this whole casting thing, is that I'm from I'm friends with Brian Andrews on on um Facebook, and he played the original Tommy Doyle in the first movie, so he's really butthurt that they didn't hire him to be Tommy Doyle in this new movie, so he's just like trolling like a motherfucker all the time, and it's it's very entertaining to me. <laughs> that would be entertaining to read because I was, I, yeah, I'm sure he's probably just like, okay, they're bringing all these other people back, but they're not bringing me back. What the fuck? <laughs> he does look like a, and I, I'm nobody to talk about looks, but he does look like a chubby golem, okay? And he, he, needs, he needs to be taking care of himself before. It's, it's kind of like when they hired those Star Wars folks to come back. It's like, you know what? Mark Hamill got to lose a little weight, man. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, they said this in the meeting, I know for sure, you know? I mean, yeah, I just, I just don't understand because they, they keep making these announcements. Like, uh, I guess it's only for the true fanboys of the whole entire franchise because they're making it sound like it's a big deal. And I'm going, eh, I, it that's cool, but I, I don't see the need to get that excited over it. They got, they got the nurse back though, bro. Come on now. I, I know for the <laughs> second time. <laughs> no, I, I can't get too excited about it either. But the Brian Andrews thing is much more entertaining than all this casting news has ever is, so. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> it's like, you know what fucking sucks, man? Rob Zombie fucking sucks, man. I'm like, yeah, I get it. You're pissed off that you're not in the movie and that you weren't in those movies either, apparently. And, uh, <laughs> I've met him. He's a nice enough guy. It's just the fact that he's so butthurt over this whole Halloween thing. I was like, yeah, I understand. But I just yeah, him and Rob, sorry. Him and Danielle Harris. <laughs> man, that girl. Yeah, but... Uh, that's 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 an enemy an, an enemy of the Jamins. She was nice to me though, but Jamie hates her to death. And uh, <laughs> so, go hatch. And she four. was rude as shit for me. <laughs> go hatch at four and five. Yay! Those are coming soon. Yeah. Right? <sighs> who asked? Who asked for that shit? I have no idea. You know those diehard. I don't know anybody. Those, those diehard Adam Green fans, I guess. And I'm glad Kane Hodder's getting work because I like Kane Hodder. But you know. I never could uh, dive into the to the to the Hatchet franchise all that much because except for like there's some great kills in there, but the story lacking. It's just another Jason. It's all it is, and so they don't want to admit to that. Yeah, and I enjoy like I love Adam Green like as a person, and like I enjoy the franchise, like the Hatchet franchise, but it's not something like oh I need another one. It, it 
it's fine. Just leave it die. Adam, go do something different. Just try something different. I know this is like what everyone's apparently asking for. That's why you keep going back. But just just go back and do like dig it up tomorrow or something like that. Do something like different like that again. Make another Holliston. That's my favorite thing he's ever done is Holliston. Yes. I freaking love Holliston. And that drives me insane. What's his name? Anywhere. Holliston. Those Caesars are pretty cheap, actually, last I checked. Yeah, I think I got them for like a total of 20 bucks on Blu-ray. Oh, shit, I'll have to go look. I was just looking to watch it for free on like Prime or Hulu or something. Yeah, I think think you might be able to on Aeroscope, but I'm not sure. It once was on Shudder, I believe, but I doubt anymore. Um, I don't remember it being on Shudder. I could be wrong. But Suzanne was digging a year craw girl. Uh, standard stuff. Uh, no hit on my resume yet, which is kind of bumming me out. Um, winter's coming, which isn't making me happy. And not the uh, Game of Thrones winter. Chicago fucking winter. Yeah. I am not looking forward to another Chicago winter. So what's the difference, really? <laughs> it's same oh. Michigan. I don't want another Michigan winter. <laughs> I think it's more like lake, I, I, more like lake effect snow here, and yeah, heart attack snow is not a favorite of mine. You know, although I'll, yeah. I'll shovel some snow, I just might fall on my ass. That's that's a that's a big uh, that's a big bugaboo for me. You know, <laughs> right? One of our big snowstorms, trying to get out of the driveway, my fucking snowblower, my snowblower fucking died, and I'm like, I just put gas in it. It's dead. It is d e a d dead. And it is a heavy snow, and of course, just like it, most of it cleared, the plow comes by, and yep. like all that nasty, heavy, thick ice on the apron, and then we had our wonderful polar vortex. Now, that, let me tell you, that was a treat. When the Yeah, I got hit by that, too. That was horrible. Below zero. That was the high. I couldn't get my car to start. I've got a German car. You would think that a German car would start in that weather, but no. Yeah, because I think the wind chills out here got to like negative 45 or something stupid. It was ridiculous. Oh, no, the 25 below. That was just the outdoor temperature. Uh, we yeah, had I think to, ours was like negative 15 or something. Yeah, it, we had a like two and a half days where it was just brutal out and had water running. Thank God nothing burst. Or froze, but I'm just not looking forward to winter this year. No, I can agree with that. Oh my gosh, Iris, what about you, girl? Um, hmm, I don't know. I've been having a peaceful, kind of easy feeling lately, so I have can't say that there's a lot that I, I'm like bitchy about. Iris, Iris. Don't, no. bring the, don't bring up the Eagles on this podcast, okay? Come on, guys, <laughs> <what are you? laughs> All right, wait, wait, wait. Let me find something. Oh, okay, um, let what me is, see. What is wrong with you? What no, is wrong with that. me? <clears throat> no, seriously, um, uh, you know, everything's good. I'm going to be a grandma again, so that's cool. Uh, I get to go to Mexico and build houses this week, so that's kind of cool. And nice. uh, I'm getting uh, kind of like moved around at work to something I really, really, really love to do. So that's really cool. So, yeah, everything's kind of like smooth so far. So, of course, you know, talk to me next time. I might, I'm pretty sure I'll have something to say, but, you know, so, <laughs> so far it's so good. Oh, 
I have no personal beef except with, you know, the, the, the film community in general sometimes. And two of the biggest blowhards this week are who, whose work I respect. Now I'm going to start this out by saying I respect their work rightfully. Great, great. For the most part, great. Great output from, all, from both these directors. But Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola can go, fucking go sit on a fucking fence somewhere. Okay, shut the fuck up. Cause... Oh, good lord. Yeah, I read about that shit. <laughs> So it's like they don't know how multiplexes work, okay? There's a reason why these small films are, are either limited or, or devoid in the multiplex. Because if you put the Avengers on three screens, it's going to make more money. This, this is just this is just how commerce works, you know? I mean, they, they, right. should be, they should be grateful that their movies are coming out. I mean, I'm not saying they're making bad movies, but there's so many more different ways to get your entertainment than it did in the cinema. I mean... He got paid what a hundred million dollars to do the Irishman for Netflix. Yeah, something like that. It's something like that, and the new Soderbergh film is on Netflix. And there's so many outputs now that you can put films out and and probably spend a lot less money marketing them because you you escape all that rigmarole of of going through these different things and this and the other. But their their biggest gripe is that Marvel films are not cinema. Now, granted, they're not high cinema. I wouldn't say they're they're better than at least one of the movies that we watched today. Because we'll talk about that. But I I had some feelings that (laughs) that uh (laughs) yeah. But um, there's still there's still cinema. I mean, it's still it's still required lots of jobs to make this film. No matter what they think about it, you know, it's still required years of work to make a film. It wasn't shot, you know. I like with real city streets like like they're used to, but you know, more on green screen. But still, people still work hard to make these movies to put them out, and they don't really recognize that they're films, and that's not really fair because a couple of them, I, I will argue, are, are better than some films that came out in the past decade. I mean, The Winter Soldier is probably one of my favorite films of the past decade. I think it came out. In the oh past yeah, decade. But it, it is it is well put together. It has a story. It's borrowed from other 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 stories, but it works very well. Um, so Marty, Francis, get off my fucking lawn! I'm fucking sick of hearing your fucking mouths <laughs> talking about this shit. No, it's <laughs> like they forgot how poorly their films were treated when they first came out. And I'm not a fan of the Marvel movies by any stretch, but I'm not going to say they're not movies. Do I like them? Not particularly. So I watch other stuff. But they're just, I have no idea. I, I get the, what they're bitching about, but I think they're going about everything the wrong way. I mean, I, I've had this conversation before where, you know, my, my, my cinematic tastes were led by other people. And there was a story that came out today that Martin Scorsese was talking about. Oh, kids have no no access to, you know, great cinema or something. Some of the ones of finding great cinema because their their minds are so warped with these these Marvel films or whatnot, this is like the most untrue statement ever. Because we live in the 21st century, where we have the internet, we have, you know, Facebook groups, we have podcasts, we have relatives, we have so many things. There's so many people to guide your 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 cinematic viewing to say, hey, this is something I haven't seen before. It looks interesting. I'll watch it. I mean, our, our next show is is a perfect example of that this is this is the film that I picked for the next show. Um, to, to, to go with the Wicker Man spoilers, uh, 
that <laughs> I didn't think I'd be able to find a film that would go with The Wicker Man until somebody suggested this movie. That, hey, I watched this and I really enjoyed that. That's community. That's them saying, this is something you may not have seen before and it was interesting to me. Maybe you should give it a watch. He's acting right. like this doesn't exist where we live in a world where it exists everywhere. It's just a matter of you going to go look for it. And Right? I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I can sit here and bitch moan and complain about these Marvel movies or sit with the grandkid and show him stuff like, you know, uh, Wizard of Oz and, you know, The Godfather and sit and explain to him stuff and, you know, or a never ending story. It's stuff like this that these guys are saying that, you know, kids have no no access to. Well, then maybe it's not Hollywood's um, um responsibility to show these kids this how about it's the parents and the people around them to show them these things that's because me you know it, you know it's all, exactly all that's how life. it was with me and that's what i did with my kids and that's what i'm doing with my grandkids so if you maybe stop bitching and instead of saying oh no don't show my movie here because you know i'm not going to get my royalties or or it's against the the freaking copyright or something, make them available so kids can watch these movies. Right. What is it? Um, I forget the one they have through the library now. This is going to drive me nuts. But the streaming service through the library, in which you can rent movies from the library and, and stream them on your TV. And oh, that's cool. Uh, that is awesome. What is it called now? <laughs> I'll I'll remember about halfway through this freaking episode. But this is the thing that they they, they do now. But I think that they, instead of writing or, you know, doing interviews and bitching about these films, why not write a blog and say, here's here's twenty movie here's twenty movies about ghosts that, that that you should watch, you know, or something, and explain why you should watch them. If, if exactly, there's, right? Not everybody's a number. Of right. Oops, yeah, go, ahead. It, go ahead, go ahead. And I was just gonna say, there's been any number of nights like. Kind of in the mood for something. Um, I've been watching this, and I'll get fifty to a hundred recommendations, and it's exactly. it's all over the gam. It's all over the gamut too. It's yeah, exactly. And you know what? Not everybody is a freaking uh, can afford to go to USC and become a you know a movie director or or study movies and cinema. You know, just so just instead of like I said, instead of bitching, put your stuff out there so everybody can see it. You know, let the movie theaters put your stuff back up on the screen once in a while and people will come in droves because a good movie is a good movie, period. Whether it's a Marvel movie or whether it's, you know, Dr. Zhivago, Mm -hmm. people are going to relate to it and people are going to like it. So, you know, it doesn't matter what you're watching. If emotionally it, it, it gets to you. Then it's a fucking good movie. Who cares? Yeah, one of my, exactly. One of my, favorite, one of my favorite podcasts I listen to now. I, I never miss it now because I, I'm writing notes as I'm listening to it. Is uh the movies that made me podcast with uh Joe Dante and I forget his broadcasting partner, in which they bring you know famously like Bill Hader on there or stuff like that, and they 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 give like their their cinematic journey and they they say. This is what made me love film. So I'm, I'm sitting there writing down films that I never heard of before that I may want to watch one day. You know, again, back to podcasts. Cause there's there's a, a, a I'm not gonna I love to say there's a million podcasts out there, but there's lots of podcasts out there that you can listen to that they're talking about obscure films that you could find. 
and discover yourself and that and these, you know, labels like, like Vinegar Syndrome and Severin and these companies are putting out films that I've never heard of. Like, wow, let, let me read right. what this, this film is. Wow, that sounds fucking bizarre as shit. I've never, ever heard of it before. So there yeah. is there is, there is ac- access to the stuff out there. Information is overflowing for you to find stuff to watch that you're looking for. Just, it yeah, just because you don't listen. I'm sorry, Iris. Somebody speak. Oh, no, I'm just, they're acting like... Uh... Social media doesn't exist. It's right. It's bizarre. And I've been reading about what they've been saying, and I'm like, I, I have mad respect for the two, but they're acting like fools. They're acting like children is basically what they're doing. I, I mean, seriously, all you have to do is, is do a search, like you were saying. I mean, something weird videos. Uh, go there. You can find a plethora of shit that you've never seen before. You know, or like you were saying, Severin and all these other things. We are going to discuss the movie, you know, from one of the greats. So you can't say that nobody's watching these things or, 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 you know, these kids don't know, aren't educated. I I don't know. I think they're acting like children. They're like babies because maybe they didn't get the the movie. Is that it? Is that why you're bitching? Because, you know, the Marvel movies weren't given to you first, but. It wouldn't be a Marvel movie, you know? It'd be something I'm, else. I'm thinking they're acting like old men that don't know how the internet works nowadays. <laughs> well put, like, well put. They they just don't seem to get the concept of, like, word of mouth through social media is, like, probably the biggest way of advertising there is. Yeah, or maybe it's because their movies aren't trending on Twitter. I don't know. Right. That's even if they know how to use Twitter. (laughs) Martin Scorsese just just had a big boost, and I I can almost guarantee that The King of Comedy and and, uh, Taxi Driver sold, I don't know how many copies on iTunes and physical copies. Oh, yeah, I am so Because of Joker coming out, which if you guys want to hear me talk about Joker, you guys can listen to that extra long episode that we recorded. Um, Yeah, but that film borrows from those films, and Martin Scorsese was, was once once uh, asked to make that film and he was going to make the film and something happened, yada, yada, yada. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy. But I can guarantee he sold more Blu-rays and, and digital downloads after that movie came out. And people say, I've never seen the King of Comedy, which they might not have. You know, people have seen Taxi Driver, they might not have seen the other ones, so they're probably going to buy it up. But whatever. Here I am, you know, praising the men, which, I, I, which they should be praised. I mean, don't get me wrong, that the films they made... For the most part, I, I can't say that I, I love every Scorsese film because something about I can't get behind New York, New York because it's Liza Minnelli and, and Robert De Niro in that movie. I, I don't know. It's really strange. But uh, 90% of this catalog I could celebrate. And um, I've never been able to get through the gangs of New York. It's, it's, I, I don't know. It's one of those films, too. And I've tried and I can't. I, I think it's like Daniel Day-Lewis trying way too hard. I think that's what it does for me. Uh, yeah, I think so, because he's usually fantastic in everything he's in. Oh, he's great. He's great in the movie. Just like, watch watch me as I try to carry this whole movie for you people on my back. And, you know. I'm just not a fan. I just, I think the furthest I've made it in is like an hour and a half. And it was literally like, I just can't take any more. I'm shutting this off now. Is it, is it Cameron Diaz? 
she I I've never been a fan of her. She, she just. I, well, I think she does a bad thing. All I can picture in my head is her dancing in the underoos in that Charlie's Angels movie, and you know, <laughs> then, then it all goes away. See. You know? <laughs> Oh, oh shit! Oh, see <laughs> now I'm picturing that. I'm, excuse me while I go away for a moment. You should, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, Iris, do you need a towel? <laughs> I got one here. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, so M- Marty, Franny, get off my lawn. Uh, go keep making movies that people might enjoy or might not enjoy. I wasn't too fond of Leonardo DiCaprio getting raped by a bear and winning an Oscar for it. It should have went to the. De- <laughs> it should have went to the Departed. I'm sorry. One of my favorite movies Dead, of all time. Yeah. <laughs> the Departed is fantastic. Oh my god. Yes. But tonight and we're here. I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, I was gonna say it's like Godfather Two is making its rounds in theaters again. Mm-hmm. What is he bitching about? Got, not, got nothing to bitch about. He's a celebrated filmmaker, for Christ's sake. You know? Jesus. They both are. <laughs> You know, you know, and another thing, and and I'll shut up about it is, you know, they had to take their punches by, um, you know, directing and producing some shitty films. So not, I'm not saying that Marvels are shitty films, but you know, let these other directors, you know, put in their time, and and eventually they'll graduate to stuff that you might be be doing. But I mean, come on, everybody has to put in their time. Let them just do their thing. I think it's just ridiculous for people to be bitching about it. I mean, certain things make a lot of money and certain things uh, don't. And I, I can get into, I don't know why they throw a $300 million budget to sci-fi films for. They're not going to make any money, but they keep doing it. They keep failing, you know, right. uh, uh, so, so many, so many gripes here. It was a good conversation. though. So I'm mad about it at all. But uh, speaking of good conversations coming up, we uh, are covering two films tonight. Uh, Oof, I was emotionally drained, people. Uh, <laughs> the, the Virgin Spring from 1960, which inspired another film that came out in, in the, the early 70s. I think it's, it's the 72? 72? Yes, I believe yes. it's 72. Yeah. 1972's uh, Wes Craven um, rape revenge classic, if you will. It's, it's kind of silly in parts, people. The Hills Have Eyes. No, not The Hills Have Eyes. The Last House on the Left. <laughs> the people in the Inversion Spring kind of remind me of those Hills Have Eyes people, too. So it's kind of like a double-edged sword. <laughs> yeah, but, um, I can see that. We'll go uh, chronologically here and talk about The Virgin Spring first. And we'll do that in English trailer for this one. So I might play something else for in, in lieu of the trailer. But you'll hear our review right after that. Talk to you soon. Hey, did you guys ever notice that podcasts talk about the same movies over and over again? Yeah, as much as I love Friday 13th, I don't need another show telling me how good it is. Exactly. Same thing goes for Halloween. It's a great movie, but come on, there's other stuff out there. There should be a show that highlights movies that everyone else seems to skip over. Like, oh, I always wanted to talk about Absentia. And I want someone to cover the room. The Skeleton Key's a good one. Then let's just do one. We can call it The ABCs of Hidden Horror. And we'll go through the alphabet, talking about our favorite horror flicks that get ignored. Great idea! I know what my first one's gonna be. Join Brian, Dave, and me, Jamie, for the ABCs of Hidden Horror on the Horrorphilia Network, where we might discuss some of your neglected favorites, or introduce you to something new. Uh, The Virgin Spring from 1960, um, directed by 
the great, uh, it's our first Bergman film, Ingmar Bergman, um, the stars of the great, of course, Max von Sydow and all of his, uh, goat beard action in this movie. That thing is majestic. It's amazing. Um, it so is. And a bunch of Swedish people that I'm not going to try to pronounce their names. I'm sure Swedish and German. Yeah, and, and um, there's a lot, a lot of, a lot of names that I'll mispronounce. I'm not even going to butcher those names. And I'm going to say the plot synopsis from IMDb. An innocent yet pampered young virgin and her family's pregnant and jealous servant. It's her sister, isn't it? Uh, it's like fa- foster child. Yeah. Set out to deliver candles to church, but only one returns from the events that transpire in the woods along the way. Oh, man. We'll get into this right now. I'm going to kick it to our guest, Scott, first and ask him what he thought about the Virgin Spring. Whew. Where to start? This... This is my first Bergman film. I don't think I've seen anything else of his before. I've known of the man's work. I know like he is just like celebrated for a lot of his work. And I was looking forward to this when you uh, gave me the options. And I was like, okay, I got to check this out. And man, I in love with this movie. It is so freaking beautifully shot and well acted and so much uh, symbolism just throughout this whole entire thing and yeah you could definitely see where uh last house on the left had taken some cues from it for sure because it is there's some very identical scenes in this but yeah all in all i thought this was just amazing the score was just beautiful and yet like even certain shots of this i don't think i'll ever get out of my brain they are like etched in there forever just certain scenes and yeah i I don't want to go into too much more until we get into the more of a discussion, but yeah, damn, I was impressed. Cool. Iris. Uh, this, this is like probably my third or fourth watch. Um, I had to imagine this, watch this for a movie class that I had in college. Um, oh, nice. But I also had watched this as a kid because guess what? My mom sat me down in front of a TV to watch this. Uh, um, because she's a, a big Igmar Bergman fan. Uh, this is a very, very cool movie. Uh, I, like you were saying, the symbolism is this, this is great. I mean, you get a lot of paganistic, I would say, or um, symbolism with Odin and the crow and the old man by the water. Uh, then you get, of course, a lot of the Judeo-Christian symbolism, uh, especially as one of the guys is has the way one of the guys ends up uh, after uh, Tor is uh, done with him. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of stuff in this, um, and and just the the story itself, where it comes from. It comes from like this ballad uh, that uh, is usually was like sung of course it's about and basically the gist of the story was um <clears throat> that um there was uh this farmer and uh his wife and his wife's name was Karen and not the daughter they the three girls he they had three daughters and they were sent to go to church and on the way to church these high women killed them and of course then the high women come to this farm and try to sell the skirts, kind of like, you know, one of the guys did does here. And, um, of course, the mother finds out that this is also obviously their daughter's clothes. So they end up killing two of the guys and then leave one guy 
uh, living and they ask him, you know, who are you and why did you do this? Turns out that um, old uh, Tor and his wife, Karen, had thrown their three sons into the world and said, go fend for yourselves. Ends up that these three highwaymen killed their three sisters because they did not know who they were. And of course, uh, the it's called the Virgin Spring because of course the spring that comes out. And uh, in this, there is a church of Karna, which is where, of course, you know how he says he's going to build a church with his own hands to atone for himself. Um, in the movie, of course, it's to atone the deaths, but here it's because he found out that these three high women that he killed were his, his also his children. And uh, they said that, that um, sometimes the old smitty that used to be near this church, there is an apparition of the three maidens once in a while. And the well used to be there. Of course, it's all dried up now, but there was a spring there uh, in that uh, in, at the church of Karna. So it, it's kind of interesting how it ties in. I did a little research because I'd love to kind of get the background on things like this, but I thought it was pretty interesting. And I, I definitely, definitely... Uh, enjoyed the movie. Suzanne! I had started watching this once again. It was on Netflix a long time ago. And Netflix used to give you a notification when movies were leaving. I'm like, oh, well, that's leaving soon. Oh, 25 minutes into it, it left Netflix. And I didn't have access to anything else at the time. So I'm like, well, damn. Ridiculous. It, it was, I'm like, I'm watching it. Please, can't you just wait another hour? It's not the, it's not the la- the first time it ever happened to me on Netflix. I'd go through and see what was leaving. And of course, mid-watch, it's gone. But beside the point, this was absolutely mesmerizing. You, the, I've, I've got to say, Max von Sydow in that square jaw beard. Holy hell. I was, I one in the one thing I and I was reading because I was I was a little unsure. One thing said it was that the servant was her half sister. One thing said she was just a servant. It was a it's, little it, bit. It seemed to me the relationship seen seemed to me that that she was the they were that they were sisters because she was the real free free wheeler one that would go out and of course she got pregnant because she's pregnant throughout this film. And that she was bitter to this to this younger girl, who I thought was her sister the whole time, because of their relationship. Because she's so much well, more well received, even to the point in where she's missing, and they're hoping that she was. They think she's missing, and if she doesn't come home, they're gonna go look for her. Obviously, that the mother breaks down and says, "She's all I have left." Like in a way, they discarded this girl who may or may not be their daughter or half daughter or whatever's going on here. They obviously resent her throughout this whole film because she, you know, goes against everything they believe in, whether it be religion or whatever, you know, by being this re- real freewheeling girl who goes out and doesn't come home. So, yeah, and, and all this stuff. And and it just seems to me that even, you know, until, you know, the, 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 what happens happens, she doesn't feel any, any resentment for, I mean, any regret for her. The way she treats this girl who she resents throughout the full film. But go ahead. I'm sorry, Suzanne. Go ahead. Continue. Oh, no, 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 no. That's fine. Um, I, I honestly, there are a couple of scenes that I found kind of fascinating. 
And one of them is uh, when Max von Sydow finds out after they offer up the dress to the mother who keeps her cool and takes it in. And it's like he is going through this ritual cleansing. He goes and tears down that tree, is flogging himself with birch branches. Which I actually found out uh, when he's whipping himself with that birch branch. Apparently that is uh, used for warding off of evil and fear because of what he's getting ready to uh, do. Okay, so it was some basically cleansing or a little bit of self-flagellation for fun. Yeah. And just and you can just see as he's doing this and just the wincing on his face. And I, for the life of me, I do not understand after everything that had happened. He killed the little boy who, I don't really think the little, the little boy was maybe nature versus nurture. He was going to grow up to be the same type of people that the other two men were. But when he picked him up and, and basically shot put that kid into the wall, protect that little boy, you know, maybe, I don't know, try to raise him right or something like that. But Tor just pretty much wanted to pick the evil out and just completely destroy it. But after hearing the servant's confession... I still don't understand why they let her live. I, I think that is the only it, thing I don't get. I, I think that you know the conversation they had um, when they were on they were on the way to the church about you know her, her being ravaged. She could be ravaged by men if they if they if they willed it. If they were strong enough, they, they they could take her and ravage her behind a rock or whatever. She said, "I forget the exact lines of dialogue," but. She feels regret for what she said because it actually happened, and she she sat there and watched it happen because I don't I, I can't really tell if she felt that um she couldn't do anything about it or um or, or if she or, or if she wanted it to happen I don't know but there's a, there's a point in the film where he finds her hiding underneath a, a cupboard or a flight of stairs or whatever's going on there and he could tell that she knows something so he's gonna get the information out of her. You could tell, like right then, when she's giving her a little schmeal there, that she she does feel regret for what she, even what she said, not alone what she said, but what, what she watched it allowed to happen. But well, it, what she had done. Oh, if you don't mind me interrupting. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, God, no, please. What she did was uh, when she went at the very beginning, you can clearly tell that this wild child, dark-haired one, is uh, a child of Odin because. Um, when she is opening up to let the fire out uh, and, you know, winter's coming. So she says, Odin, come, Odin, come. Uh, so, you know, of course, Odin brings winter with him. And then when um, uh, Karen was supposed to take the blessed candles to the church, she was told by Marietta to go into the, to go make, some mutton and cheese sandwiches for Karen to take with her on the trip. So instead what she did is she found a toad and she put it inside the sandwich, hoping that, you know, she would cut a sandwich and, you know, eat the toad or whatever. So basically what she was doing is she was trying to curse 
this kid because she feels that, well, they obviously treat her as a princess, of course, and she's also the blonde one, you know, very pretty. Uh, so basically why she was saying that it was her fault is because she's saying that she willed it was basically that's what she was doing with when she put that frog inside the bread. Yeah. She was trying to curse the girl. Yeah, because I read up that uh, in medieval Swedish folklore that the frog represents evil and death. And yes. She was, yeah, like you said, trying to curse her. And like it was also when uh, Corina ended up sharing the bread with those uh, herdsmen uh, and, you know, they cut into the bread and the frog came out. That was almost like uh, showing them that, you know, right, they it was a all death were sentence. cursed. Yeah, yeah, it was a death sentence. And also the old man, I believe, is a representation of Odin because Odin was the one he grabbed her horse and took her across the river. So being, you know, across the river as going to the other side and Odin being the one that used to do that because Odin's uh, it, the symbology in, in Norse mythology for Odin is uh, also kind of like, you know, a skeleton death. Therefore, when she did that, when he took her course and took it across, that was also Marietta did not let the old man take her horse across. And she crossed the river on her own. She was scared to go into the forest because she felt that there was something evil in there. And of course, the the, the crows there uh, while the old man's there and they're calling another symbology for Odin. So that, I, I just love the symbology, the, the, the symbolism of, of the paganism and, and Christianity in this and how it's fighting against each other. It, it, it's just amazing in this movie. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I know I'm familiar with parts of it, but now a lot of it's making a little bit more sense. I The crow was is making a lot more sense because I, I remember that. It was like the eyes of Odin was mm -hmm. the crow. And I honestly, I never really even put together the crossing of the river. I'm like, oh, my God, that really just brought everything together. And these it's it's my God, the movie is just stunning. It's one of those movies that I will never forget a single frame of this movie. This was so moving. Yeah, I think uh, the, 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 the idea of the religion within the movie really works well, you know, especially, you know, the, in, in the father's grief, you know, because you, you can tell, you know, when he, when he finds out that something, because you don't even know if something happened to her until the, 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 um, the, 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 the half, half sister or whatever she is, the servant girl, um, because she seems like a sister to me, I'm not sure. Cause she, she has that kind of resentment towards that girl and, um, that, that he finds that out until then, you know, he gets down to business you could tell it's it's very ritualistic, and I really I really loved it about this film, because it's not like it's a a new it's it's like a young tree. So in a way, him taking down that young tree, really really destroying the the roots and everything is kind of like the loss of innocence of this girl, and and you know and he, he used that tree and, and to, to basically psych himself up, you know, ritualistically to 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 get down to business, and I think. What makes this movie more, way more powerful than Last House on the Left, and I'm not, I'm not dissing Last House on the Left, but this, this is a far superior film to that film, is oh, that yeah. when he, the wife puts the bar over the, the cabin, and then when he opens it, 
he 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 does everything really slow, like almost to like confirm everything. He goes into their bags and he finds all the, the daughter's garments. She wears a lot of fucking clothes. I was like, this girl's gotta be fucking warm <laughs> as shit, you know. Um, but it like like sits down in a way. He he puts he jams a knife into the table, almost to like wake them because he gets close enough to where he can slit their throats. But he doesn't want to do that. He wants to face the faces of the people that 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 wronged him and caused them all this pain. And he does that with no dialogue in this in this scene at all. It's all actions, and it, it, it's all. And I I think it's really symbolic that he has like one of the greatest chairs of all time. It's kind of like the patriarchal throne of that room. And then he chooses the two, to, you know, he could have threw, threw him off his chair. So it didn't get bloody or whatnot, but he chose to kill him on top of that, that, that fatherly throne and which to say, you know, you know, I will have, I will have revenge, you know, for, for you doing this to, to our, our, our only daughter, you know, who is pure. It's all about purity. You know, she's no longer pure. She's dead now, obviously, but, if she lived, she would no longer be pure, you know. And yeah, the, the whole that whole scene is done so. I don't even know. I I wouldn't even call it like crazy violent because it's kind of like they're, they're getting what he deserves. He's he's doing it his own his own terms. And I I I have a lot of feelings. I I will say this about this movie. I was I I, I was I was awake when I watched it. But afterwards, I felt emotionally drained, and I'm exhausted right now just from watching this movie because it'll take a lot out of you. There's a lot going on, and it, it may, may take it may take its toll on your on your, your your own personal soul. And it did me. I think I feel like I'm about running about sixty percent right now. But uh, please, somebody else talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, well, it just doesn't. It, it seems like there was not a single frame that was wasted. Each yes. and everything that happens in this movie has to be there to complete the picture. But I did enjoy the fact that it was just a, it, it was a very visual way of telling the story. I mean, you could have practically watched this without subtitles and just turned the volume off other than you, the score is just fucking stunning. And the whole thing was, the whole thing would have told the, oh no, it's fine. Just the whole thing would have told the story. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I'll just say I agreed like wholeheartedly that, yeah, this is something you don't really need the dialogue for. Like each scene does tell the story perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm exhausted now, but this is my first uh, Ingmar Bergman film I ever watched. And I, I'll probably explore more of the catalog. Although I hear, I hear that, um, he didn't like this one very much, as, as far as the film goes. It's from from all the little stuff that I've read, and uh, and but the film the film is is wonderful. I mean, I, I I it's done. I know I know technically it's a rape revenge film. It's probably one of the very first ones, but it's done in, in such a way to where I could show my mother this film and she would say, "Wow, what what a great film that is." Whereas the next film. Not so much, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But um, what, what was I, was I going to say? Yeah, I'll say there is definitely a reason why this was picked up by Criterion. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I actually think if I once I pick up like fifty other things that I've got on my list, this is definitely going to be something I want in my collection. It is. Same. It is just stunning, and it, I agree with Gary because. After I watched it, I, I literally 
felt like I could barely even lift my leg up. I was just, I, I, there are times I was one, I, I couldn't breathe. I was holding my breath watching this. And, uh, well, the, I can hear people talk now that they watch this film and they'll start going on about, oh, it's so religious and I hate this type of thing. You know, but I, I but think it's that, not. It's, it, th- th- there is a lot of religious aspects in it, though. I mean, the, the end is almost like a, as... the, the end is almost like a baptism. You know, when they lift, they lift little Karen up and the spring, you know, c- comes out of the ground. And um, what's what's the not sister's name? I forget her name now. Uh, Ingrid. Yeah, she is, is literally washing her face with this water that came out of the ground anew, and yeah, they, washing they, her sins away. Yeah, washing exactly. her sins away, and they 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 put the water on that little dead Karen's body, her, her face, and you know it's it's almost like a baptism. So the religious symbolism in this movie works really well because the the grief that they're feeling, I buy it. Okay, and I'm not a big religious person either. I could hear the, the the retractors saying, "Oh, it's so religious. I'm never watching this again." I was like, "Well, you're just ignorant, I guess." Because <laughs> right, yes, <laughs> you're missing out. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Scott, kick it to you. Anything else to say about the film? What do you give it? One to ten. Fuck. Uh, well, like we've pretty much said everything that I was gonna say. Though I did want to bring up there was uh, like speaking of that religious aspect to it, like that uh, dinner scene right before uh. Corrine heads out with Ingrid. Like that reminds me of uh, the Last Supper, the way everything is set up, and I just thought that was also just kind of beautiful, just because the way everything is placed and set up around and where they're all positioned around the table, and yeah, so it just goes to show, like, yeah, there is pagan symbolism and uh, Christian symbolism throughout, which just makes for a really good blend of a film that I. I went into this not really expecting that at all, really. I just kind of expected kind of like the beginning type of a rape revenge film with, uh, you know, a little being a little more well-made being Bergman. I did not expect all this, though. And holy crap, uh, I I don't do this often, but I think I want to give this a 10 out of 10. This is just a freaking masterpiece to me. Beautiful, beautiful film. I'm sure we're going to rain in a lot of the same deal. So, Iris, you next, girl. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, this, this movie does does deserve this. Uh, and uh, Brickman uh, is known for his his uh, Christian symbolism, like, you know, the seventh seal. That's another good one. Uh, if you want to start digging in, Gary, that's the next one I would recommend. I know, I know uh, another... Criterion has a big box set of the movies now, so... Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, the Janice film set? Oh, they think it's the Bergman. They got a Bergman set now. I think it's out. Oh, God. Yeah. Hmm, I'm going to have to save money for that. Half price sale, Yeah, me too. Half price sale. Oh, ooh. Mm. Well, well, because Max von Sydow was kind of like a favorite of his. He's in a lot of his movies. And he's in this one, too. Uh, but, But with this movie... It, it's like you were saying, Scott. It's just so beautifully made. Uh, the cinematography, just the way it's filmed, it's it's almost like choreographed. To tell you the truth, especially that last scene where he's just going through the guys and and does what he does. It, it's I don't know. To me, it's just so smooth, and it doesn't feel like you're sitting there for about an hour and a half. It really doesn't, because it keeps up pace. It it doesn't. 
it doesn't bore you. You're 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 invested in the characters, and it you have you get a good payoff, and I and I really really enjoyed it. So um, a ten. Cool, Suzanne. Ditto. Ditto. Yeah, I mean <laughs> the movie is I had watched a, like twenty five to thirty minutes of it before I was rudely cut off from Netflix. And I was, I couldn't find it anywhere. Well, at least within my budget, which was zero. Um, I'm so glad I finally had a chance to watch this. And I, I, I don't think I, I blanked. I don't, I know my chest started hurting because I didn't realize I was holding my breath through most of it. But there's not a single scene that's wasted. Everything is just... It's so much attention to detail in the storytelling. It's just an amazing movie, and I will look for the Seventh Seal next. Cool, cool. Yeah, I, I people talk about you know how movies like Don't Look Now is is like the level of like the father's grief is off the charts. I think there's a lot of hokey shit in that movie that makes me not enjoy it sometimes. But um, <laughs> this, this one has none of that, so. If I had to pick and choose one or the other, I picked this one over Don't Look Now, so that I had to compare the two. But I think they make a a, a, a wacky double bill. I guess I don't know. I, I like this one way better than that movie. But um, t- ten out of ten. Um, for from the opening from the opening to the to the fucking end, uh, like the collapsing of Max von Sydow at the end of that movie is uh, it just says it all that the father's grief stuff, you know. Well, um, and another thing I forgot to mention too, just the way he's like looking at his hands, like towards the end too, like realizing what he had done. He's, that he's, just he's, like he's still so sorry for what he's done, but you know, the whole, there's a whole speech at the end about him talking to to uh, his higher power, whatever whatever you choose, whatever man upstairs you choose. He chooses uh, God, obviously. Did that, you know? Why would you allow this to happen? But I'm I'm still gonna I'm still gonna give penance for my sins, even though you allowed my daughter to die. It's it's a, uh, oh man. I, I I don't know. I for some reason when at that point, I actually thought he was gonna renounce God. I thought the it, same thing. But it seemed to make his his faith had wavered, but it was it somehow became stronger. It's all over the Bible, Sue. That the test of faith ain't a, I ever. Oh, I, 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 know. I, I know. I don't want to go into religious hijinks <laughs> on this fucking show, but. It reminded me of Job quite a bit, you know. It, it, it's, uh... Yeah, that's exactly when I, Pat and I were talking about it. That's exactly what he said. It's the story of Job. Mm. Good stuff, though. <laughs> Recommended by all of us. So 10 out of 10 from all of us. So if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Uh, it might even be on the Criterion channel on the, on the streaming. But um, I don't know. They take stuff. not. I looked. They take stuff down. But uh, yeah. and, and add stuff. They're good yeah. about that, though. Um, we may add it again, but, um, we're going to move on to a film that's less, lesser quality than this film, but still, still very enjoyable. Um, Wes Craven's 1972, uh, classic last house on the left <laughs> right after this. Yeah, I gotta run to the restroom. I'll be right back. Yep. I went, I went Bobby Brady on, what was it? Peter Brady on purpose. See, it's all good. Yeah, you did. Oh! <laughs> hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? 
Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight. The new podcast cure all. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, cure what ails you. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, tin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. It rests on 13 acres of earth over the very center of hell. Here is the first motion picture to offer to the daring a look into the final maddening space between life and death. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, Keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Sights and sounds far beyond anything you've tested. The last house on the left. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only a movie. Only a movie. Only a movie. Take as much as you can. Only a movie. House on the Left from 1972. So, of course, it's written and directed by Wes Craven. Um, this has a rated R rating by here that they stole this rated R rating from another film. I, I, this is the rumor that I heard that they took it out of, like a, out of a, a room and they, they put it out on air. It's a little hokey to me. But your plot synopsis is this Two teenage girls head to a rock concert for one's birthday. While trying to score some Mary Jane in the city, I, mean, I said Mary Jane, goddammit, they are kidnapped and brutalized <laughs> by a gang of psychotic convicts. This uh, stars a bunch of young people and David Hess, who uh, I guess has been typecast, I guess, by this time. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the late David Hess, I'll mention. Oh, there's there's many other folks, but I'm not going to get into that. But um, this is a film that I didn't see until it came on DVD. I think MGM put a DVD out like, way after the movie came out, and it was almost like an event in the horror community that this came to DVD, so I guess I had to go to Best Buy and buy it, and back when Best Buy still had a decent horror selection, you know? Right. Uh, not now, but um, I don't want to get into the, the beating the stores. It's it's our fault and not our fault at the same time, but um, I'll kick it to Suzanne first and ask her what she thought of The Last House on the Left. I have to admit, this was actually the second time I watched it. I rented it back when I was, no, I always been a big horror fan, but it's like when I graduated from high school and had a job, I could start buying magazines and reading about all these movies that I just kind of heard about in whispers. I found this at my God help me. I am so very old. 
my little local video store. And it was... Oh, it, I miss those. Oh, no, mine was called Video King. And they had they had a little comedy room where they kept all the comedies. They had a kid's room where they kept all the kids' movies. They had the, my favorite place, the horror movie room. And this movie was not in the horror movie room. They had a shelf way in the back of the store. It was about three shelves, and they were, like, way up at the top. And this was the, uh, as I call it, the shelves of questionable viewing material. And that's where you found the goodies. And that's where I found Last House on the Left. I was like, oh, my God, doing, like, cartwheels in my head, going, oh, my God, I'm finally going to watch this. And it... The first time I watched it, it was sufficiently fucked up for me. There was uh, there was a lot of pausing and walking. This time around, I pretty much knew what to expect, but I had a a few things in the movie I have a serious problem with now. I have a very difficult time with the inept police, and this started to really aggravate me when I was watching the movie the other day. It's it's I'll say this, it's worse than the town of the dreaded sundown, which is a film I don't like very much because of that. Oh, come on. That actually made that movie a little bit more watchable with Spark Club because they were actually trying to solve the crime. These people were fucking morons. And I know that maybe in the back of Wes Craven's mind he was thinking that some of these things might, you know, lighten up the tension. Um they passed the fucking car. The car ran out of gas. The chick with the chickens wouldn't let, give them a ride. And meanwhile, a lot of this could have been prevented if they had two brain cells to fucking rub together. There's a lot of filler in this movie, and we'll get into that, sure more of that later on. Yeah. <laughs> I, this really, really started to piss me off because I'm definitely trying to do this in a linear way. They could have saved those girls. They could have put those people back in prison, although I think that their uh, their deaths were pretty well warranted. And, well, getting your dick chomped off by an angry mom, I can't think that that would be a pleasant way to go. Um, yeah, the revenge was fine, and the, the actual horrific scenes were, you know, very, very horrific. I've never been, I liked Wes Craven, don't get me wrong, but I just like other people better. Gotcha. I mean, his track record isn't great with me either. There's a good handful of them that I love, and the rest of them I could discard pretty easily, but the man's <laughs> dead, so I don't speak ill of the dead all that much. So. No, I'm not speaking ill of him <laughs> either. I just, he's not, I have others that I prefer. And I, I've, I've really, I was getting pissed off watching this realizing that these cops were just stupid mm. and I, I i just i had a hard time actually getting past that to actually look at the movie as a whole and as i said the 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 rape and the the degradation scenes were just you know they the the desired effect was achieved Oh yeah, with the soundtrack and everything. The soundtrack in those scenes where the the, the deeds are happening, it's like a lot oh, of like, you, you get a lot of drab stuff, and it really fits the scene very well. But um, some, uh, of the, these... some other soundtrack choices don't fit the screen too much, you know. 
No, like I said, everything with these cops. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, you know, you would think. I, I don't know. Like I said, I really, I really, really started having a hard time mm-hmm. dealing with these scenes. I would really rather see a copy of this movie with that shit edited out <laughs> because it lends nothing to the film and it actually adds a tackiness to it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people look at, you know, rape revenge movies as throwaway garbage anyway. I disagree with that. Everything has its place are you going to are you going to be a pussy and not explore that part of nature we we just talked about probably the best one of all time just just a little bit ago so yeah there is a reason there's a point to it whether people get it or not you know, it's like if there's a thing there's exploitation to go with it mm-hmm. and this is no difference I don't hate the movie. And I've heard that, you know, David tested a lot of cons. And I know a lot of people that met him that said he was just the most nicest guy you could ever meet. Oh, I and I'm so fucking bummed I but, never got a chance to meet him. But they pick, they picked a guy with a face that says, I can yeah, rape some women. He, you know, they, they yeah, made a good casting he, choice there, you know. Yeah, well, he's got that, like, kind of thug look to yeah. it. Yeah. And I mean, he was almost, hit, almost like if, if Rondo Head was a skinny person. Yeah. <laughs> right or wrong, though. It's a, yeah, it looks just like him. But yeah, he played that part in like, I think, at least five to seven different movies. It's pretty much the same fucking plot. You know, the house, the. Oh my God, I cannot believe I could forget. The house on the edge of the park. The house on the edge of the park, Hitchhike. There's one or two other ones. In there too, but I second viewing with all of my senses instead of being so excited that I'm watching this movie that was on like the top shelf. And just so you know, alongside of that was I Spit on Your Grave, um, Deliverance, Eddie Murphy Raw, and just a bunch of other stuff that was, you know, pretty much had to put on the high shelf so the kitties wouldn't see it. Mm -hmm. But once again, memory from Video King. And the road leads to Scott. Yes, man. What do you think? You know, that, that's a perfect transition to me because I was just about to mention that song is probably the best example of music used well in this film because that song is very somber and just like lit, la, lends a sense of dread before the movie even truly begins. Now, the other music, on the other hand, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> what the... you, you got up with the guys or for the song is, you know, that's a... yeah, they're literally oh. telling the story as this fucking going down the road. What the fuck? Like the real fun loving dudes or something. You know, they're out to have yeah. a good time. Well, technically they are because they're sadistic, but you know. Oh my god, because all right, I'll start from the beginning for me. Like this I watched uh, Last House on the Left probably about 13 years ago, I would, I, I actually remember this day. I ended up having the flu and was sick from work. And I was like, well, I'm going to kind of just browse through FearNet back when that was a thing. And oh. <laughs> I stumbled across last time the house on the left. I'm going, oh, I've, I've heard about this movie. I don't know shit about it, but I'm in the mood for, you know, some horror film. Not really realizing what I was getting myself into. And that while being sick and watching this, I I needed something a little more 
like lighthearted, I think, because that just did not go well with me being sick. But then years later, they came out with that like special edition DVD that I went out and bought and I watched it again and I liked it still a lot. And then rewatching it. This was my third time watching it for the show. And man, I holy crap. Like there's some good scenes in this, but holy shit, that music ruins like 90% of this movie for me. And then you could definitely tell this was a, uh, first time director type deal, at least with a full length movie. Cause some of these weird editing choices, like the edits were just so bad. in some of these scenes, like I don't understand what they were thinking and like, but then, you know, like you said, the casting choice for David Hess, perfect example of a scumbag. And then his, uh, I would say two out of the four villains, like fit that just kind of skeevy role him and his son. Yeah. Even though his son was just, you know, uh, kind of a tragic story in its own right. But like the other two, uh, for one, the guy wearing a freaking like almost looked like a three piece suit throughout most of the movie. Yep. Just didn't fit at all for like the gang that they were supposed to be representing. Just seemed kind of off. And then the woman was good, but like in a more uh, overacting, like just kind of just trying to steal the scenes being crazy type of way. But yeah, all in all, like I still enjoy this movie, but man, there's so much that just brings it down for me now. Like I, because uh, yeah, like there's certain scenes in this that make me feel completely and utterly just uncomfortable and disgusted in what I'm watching. And then there's the happy-go-lucky music playing in the background that's making me go, I, I'm confused on what I'm supposed to be feeling here right now. Am I supposed to be feeling a sense of joy or disgust? Because what the fuck are you trying to put here? Yeah. I I don't get their choices. And then I'm going to steal a uh, line from Cinema Psyops and go, all cops are bumbling dummies. Because, yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Jesus Christ, these cops are just ridiculous. Well, Martin Cove plays one of the cops. Uh, you know, the sensei John Kreese. And oh, everything. shit, that was him. <laughs> all of a sudden, he's an Indian tracker because he can hear a truck. And possibly chickens coming, you know? Right. That, that part like was... Put his ear to the ground, I'm like, what the hell? That made me laugh, that, that part. <laughs> but yeah, like Suzanne said earlier, it was just like, uh, yeah, if they weren't such freaking idiots from the get-go, this could have been all pretty much stopped, or at least, like, stopped before the women were killed. Yeah. Because they just made so many dumb choices, and... It, like, I know that's like one of the biggest critiques that a lot of people say about this film, but damn it, does it need to be criticized? Because it's just, it just it does, doesn't does. work when you rewatch it. It does. And that's the problem. It didn't work on the rewatch for me. Yeah. It was so, like I said, I was pissed off and just, I'm just pissed that I, I mean, cannot believe these people were that fucking you're, stupid. You're, you're going to think that I picked this movie so we could dump all over. That's not the case. I'm sure we're getting to some good stuff real soon, but, uh, I mean, like I said, the, what I, the most of it was, some of it was really good. And I that, I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I mean, it, the parts that were good were very good. The rest was just nuts. I'm not dumping on it. I just, now yeah, we'll talk about it when it's time to go over our critique, our review. <laughs> Because yeah, I will say pretty much anything that uh, any scene that David Hess is in, 
while uncomfortable is like really good and just it actually gets you feeling like something yeah where but then yeah there are just like weird spots of filler unlike our first film where no scene was wasted there was plenty of scenes that were just kind of wasted shots here it seems like that just led to nowhere well you know the scene where we're junior is, is going to shoot krug in the house um he, the, 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 the look that he makes at him to basically say you know what you ain't had your smack in a while, so I could. You're gonna do whatever I tell you to do. Literally, shoot yourself in the head, and the the, the look that he makes when he's saying those lines, and then the look after he shoots himself in the head. Off, you don't see it. But he shoots himself in the head. It's like it's like yeah, I'm finally I'm finally ready, a little piece of shit. Now he's like a real piece right. of shit the whole movie, and uh, yeah. Yeah, he is like one uh, character that you just want to hate from beginning to end. He is just a true piece of shit and you should you should yeah you know i i, I i'd make the argument that, that the weasel the guy in the three-piece suit is a little more debonair about it so i kind of hate him a little bit more but uh <laughs> right <laughs> like yeah because he kind of like tries to like just play like a two-sided coin there where he can just he can look the part of being like nice but no he's he's just as bad of a scumbag as well mm-hmm. but uh the one good thing i will say though is like after everything is uh after they've done what they've done to the girls and just that scene where they're just kind of just looking at each other and looking down at their hands covered in blood and picking the grass off their hands like you could tell like oh shit what the fuck did we just do like you could feel it in that scene that they realized like they went way too far which i really love that scene like that's probably my favorite scene of the whole film Mm mm-hmm I thought they were more proud of themselves when they looked down. I, was, well, I, I don't know. Maybe David Hess's character, Krug, I think, kind of did, but like uh, the other guy in the suit, like just the way he was just kind of nonchalantly just looking at his hand, picking each piece of grass off of him. And he, I don't know, the look he gave just looked like he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> to me, it's more like apathy, actually, in this scene. Uh, they're, they're completely apathetic. They just raped a 17 year old girl um but before that they stabbed the hell out of the other gal and chopped her fucking hand off yeah and they were doing it with like glee right with glee and then they come to this one who uh, of course you could tell she was the more innocent of the two yes Mary mary was yeah when they you know when uh, Krug rapes her, and then she kind of like gets up, throws up. I I think what they were more uh, they were apathetic of what they did, but I think they were stunned by her strength and bravery. As I know, I'm going to die. So I, whether you do it or I do it, I I'm going to die. So when she's walking into the to the pond, kind of like. Ophelia uh, in in Hamlet as she's walking, you know, she's going to drown herself. And and this is exactly what this kid's going to do. You know, Mary's going to drown herself. So she knows she's going to die and she's she's okay with it because she has nothing else to live for. Because the one thing that young ladies were supposed to cherish and all was taken away from her. So in her eyes and she knew that in her parents' eyes. She was ruined for life, so there was nothing to live for. 
Yeah, so there's, there... a lot of, there's a lot of similar themes here. If you guys haven't heard this, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. And for me, this is like classic exploitation. Period. You've got the the bad guys. You've got the degradation, the, the degradation, the misogyny, um, the rape. And the revenge. It's all in this nice little package. And you even got, you know, the Keystone Cops, which is very essential. And, and to me, I mean, it, it could be off-putting, but to me, it just works well with this because you can't have the cops being, um, you know, the, the good cop. Because if they were, then all this could not happen. And for this revenge to happen... They needed to have that rape. They needed to have that death. And if the cops interfered, it, it just wouldn't be right. You know, the cops were there at the very beginning because they did see that car and they were there at the very end. So basically, it's like the private citizen looking at the cop and going, well, it's your ineptitude that made me do this. I mean, it, it is a lot more cartoony than our last film, though. It is. It's extremely more more cartoony, but it to me it works because it's it does, it does work. Yes, you know it should be there, or else you're not going to have that rape revenge movie that we have. Oh yeah, right. Okay. No, that's a great point. I I don't know. There's just something about those cops that just I I I just got mad. I gotta say, you know, right, right from jump, this movie is skeevy as fuck. Because the mailman, it starts with the mailman pulling up to, to, to Mary's house. Oh. And he's commenting yeah. <laughs> on how many birthday cards. He's like, it's like the whole civilized world cares it's her birthday. And then he says the line, I forget the line, but it's something like, she's about the finest piece I've ever seen. I was like, ew. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, knowing what comes next, if you see the film before, it's like him saying that one line. I was like, yeah, that's about equal to, we talked about sleepaway camp earlier. I think it may be off the air, but. The guy, the cook, uh, referring to the kids as baldies. Like, yeah, yes. Oh, my God. It's, it's about <laughs> equal to that, in my opinion. But um, I, 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 the girls in this movie are, are weird. Yeah, you, you feel sympathetic for them, for sure. But the, the one friend is, like, really freewheeling and, and really, you know, shitty. To, to, you, know, you know she's going to die first. It's almost, like, predictable. But you have all this, this, this despair... Like he, like he said, the, the, her walking into the pond because she knows she's gonna die, you know. And I think she was she was stabbed at that point, wasn't she? In the chest, wasn't she? Or in the, or in the, or in the, in the gut? No, I think they, they were, were cutting they, her chest, but they weren't yeah, they, stabbing her. Yeah, they were cutting Krug. Krug was cutting his name into her chest. Yeah, and yeah, that that whole thing. I mean, the, with with all that though, you get all these fucking montages that I don't fucking need in this fucking movie. You get the yeah, those montages were so weird. You get the cake-making montage, you know. You get the fucking cops-doing-shit montage. But, you know, the... the, 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 the oh, I'm sorry. The chicken farmer? The chicken farmer. Which the Willis, chicken farmer, my God. <laughs> which Willis, you know, God bless him, probably thought I got a kick out of that fucking shit. The, the chicken farmer lady. And uh, I thought I thought it was hilarious, but it didn't belong in the movie. You know. Um, oh, God, there's, there's so much. Um, I, I think that... Um, you know, the isolation of both these movies really work in its favor because I think during most of the movie, the phones are out, but they really live in a really, you know, isolated area. It's literally the car is parked across the street from their house. And 
So that that's there to where if you were screaming in the woods, it seems to me like where they lived, nobody would really hear you. So they could yell as loud as they wanted to and nothing really would happen. So the setting really works in its favor in this movie. Uh, the villains themselves really work in this movie. Krug and, you know, Sadie being the animal woman, I guess her prancing in the woods kind of really works for me and stuff like that. And Although I, I, I laugh my ass off every time there's that scene where they're driving in the car and Krug is just, she's just bouncing on Krug's dick like nobody's business and he just keeps not being able to get it up because Weasel just keeps talking to him about nothing. And then that music is playing in the background the whole time, too. Dum, dum, dum. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, so stupid. And I think David Hess did some of the songs, including that one for this movie, which I'm not I'm not hating on the, the man or anything, but it don't belong in this movie. No. It's just way too goddamn slapsticky to say, Do you, are you supposed to sympathize with these people having a good time when you know what happens next? It's like, I don't, I don't think so, you know, because they, they, they abducted these girls. And even, even like, the the beginning parts of this movie, you know, when they go meet Junior for, for the weed and they go into the apartment, they literally slam the door and lock it and say, gotcha. Yeah. So, so what happens next? We don't know. Do we find out, of course, but it's just so fucking hammy. And it doesn't belong in a movie like this where there's supposed to be some real desperation happening. And there, there is some scenes of real desperation happening. So that's that's what keeps you in it. I I don't think this is a masterpiece by by any sense of the word. Mm-hmm. I think it'll show in our ratings, but um, I I, I don't have a lot, whole lot more to say about the film. Um, well, this one is uh definitely like of its time and like especially the Grindhouse era. Like it definitely felt like Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham wanted to kind of make a Grindhouse like exploitation film, and they did that. It just, it's like, some scenes just kind of come off just odd. And I, I own the Arrow Blu-ray. I, I got it for cheap one time for, like, $14 from Canada or something. And I haven't opened it yet because I'm too afraid to watch this movie while it looks too clean. Because this is this is a dirty, grimy movie, so I don't know why yeah. I need a, a 4K restoration for this movie. So I'm still, I'm still, on, I, I own it, but I'm on the fence. So it's really strange in that way. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt weird for me because I have I still have just that special edition DVD and I played it in my uh, 4K Blu-ray player on my 4K TV and it cleaned it up more than I expected it. I'm just going, this just doesn't feel right. Like, there's, a, there's, a lot of good, there's a lot of good extras on that MGM disc too. That, so if you want to get uh, this movie on a budget, I think you'd be just fine with that MGM DVD. I think yeah. that's the one that I have. I, I think if I remember correctly, there's a there's a good like um, a good um, production documentary on there and trailers and interviews. So I think it's it's worth it's worth just getting that over the the fancy schmancy Arrow release with the three cuts of the movie and blah 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 blah. But if you like it, go for it. I'm gonna kick it to Suzanne and say anything else you like to say about the movie and what does she give it one two ten? All right, honestly, for me, it's one of those movies that. I think you get the better experience the first time you watch it as opposed to subsequent viewings. Because I know I came away with different different feelings the first time I watched it. I, I was always told that this movie was very taboo, so it only made you want to see it more. So when that, that MGM DVD came out, I was I was all over buying it. And you know and like you said, that first watch is, is shocking. But when you watch it again, it, it just it has it has diminishing returns like crazy and that's 
it kind of makes me sad for for that. And uh, yeah, I, I, that's I, I kind of I feel the same way because I really want to rate this higher. I'm going to try to score it like I did. I was probably 18 when I saw it the first time on a very sketchy beat to shit VHS tape, which I think was optimal viewing. The version I watched was on Amazon Prime, and it was it was a crystal clear cut. And I think that took away from it. I wanted more of the grunge on it. But I'm actually going to score this as I probably would have if asked after I saw it the first time when I was 18. So I'm probably... It is in the canon of the great exploitation rape revenge movies. There are a lot of parallels between this and Virgin Spring. And I know we talked about when Mary went into the water and it was like she was trying once again to cleanse herself of her sins, which really weren't her sins. And that just that that was the one scene in the movie that I think has always stuck with me. So I'm probably God, I really want to give it something higher, but I'm going to be at like a six and a half to a seven. Fair enough, Scott. Uh, yeah, for me, um, even though I have a lot of issues with this <laughs> film, I still like I should I, I hate using the word enjoy watching it because I really don't. It's just a tough watch. But at the same time, like there's uh, some visceral moments in this that pleases my grindhouse heart. Like, cause I am a sucker for grindhouse exploitation films of that era. And um, while it definitely has a lot of flaws and it's not a perfect film in any, any sense of the term, like there is still a reason to go back and rewatch this over and over again. Even if there is some diminishing returns, like back in the day, I would have thought this was like one of the greatest rape revenge movies I'd ever seen. But then I seen films that have made me way more uncomfortable and, and like obviously and then ones that were just like beautifully shot and not uh, done in such an exploitive way like The Virgin Spring. But however, the the acting from the villains are it's perfect. I think just the way they are, they are just disgusting. You Nothing you you don't like anything about them, though. There is that scene of kind of empathy in a way because of what they realize what they've done. And they're like, but all in all, this is something I will still rewatch and enjoy. Just not very often. I would probably still give this about an eight out of ten. It's definitely uh, one of Wes Craven's films that I will go back to because I'm kind of like you guys where. He doesn't have a like for me, he doesn't have a lot of films that I think are like excellent. He's got a lot of misses. And this one, like, yeah, you could definitely tell is like one of his first ever films because there's a lot of like just things that he never did again filming wise, like for his other films. And yeah, I still find this one uh, worth owning and worth repeat viewings. Cool. Iris. Um. I don't know. I'm going to have to rate this one a 9, 9.5. I have always enjoyed this one. This, Like I said, this for me is the, the perfect little exploitation movie. And, well, you know me. I love my exploitation movies. Uh, I'm on a podcast about exploitation movies. <laughs> uh, so that's why I enjoy this so much. Um, the 
you know, I, I guess maybe I, I, I don't know if I, I have become jaded or I'm just so used to seeing these movies uh, that they don't make me uncomfortable. I think what I when I do become uncomfortable, it's when the the acting is just over the top. But in this, it wasn't um, the the rape scene wasn't extremely, you know, it wasn't overdone like it is on I Spit on Your Grave. Yeah. To get the point across. Yeah. And I think less is more. And with this, it totally, totally did get that point across of you see the girl's reaction. You see him, that close up of, of their faces where he's got this, not a look of satisfaction, but just kind of like this idiotic look of I yeah, it got was like a I vacant wanted. look in his eyes exactly and hers was also a vacant look but this vacant look of complete and total terror and then that apathy that they show at the end I'm like well okay yeah so we raped her I mean we did worse to your friend and the way she I want to say sacrifices herself but uh, it's it's just the way that they end her life mm-hmm. you know they didn't take it from her. She basically gave it to them. So I think that's where more of that apathy comes because they did not get that satisfaction of the fear and the bloodlust that they did with, um, with Phyllis. Yeah. She was kind yeah. of going on in her own terms. Yeah. They, 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 right. they didn't like that very much. They did not because she's like, I'm not giving this to you. You know, I am going to do this on my own. I'm not, I'm not letting you killing me. No, you're not going to take my life. I'm going to give it to you. And I think that's what totally screwed it up for them. Now, with the parents, the way – just what the dad does, <laughs> I, I just oh, yeah. it, you know? It's just he's going out through the house. He's, he's taking away the – he's taking away any way, shape, or form of how they could open windows. Uh, well, the like he was setting up like home alone traps. <laughs> exactly, right? He's setting that up. And what better way for mom to get her revenge? Yeah, you know, she took one for the team, but you know what? She ended up with that guy's dick in her mouth, literally. All right. Yeah. So that that was that right there. I mean, I was cracking up when I because oh, every time I see this scene, it, it just makes me laugh because that's the first thought that comes in my brain. You know, well, she literally has his dick in her mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, know? Right? you know, and so. Yeah, to me, this this film is is just the perfect little exploitation flick. So I'm gonna give it a nine point five. One thing I forgot to mention is that both these films have a pretty uncomfortable dinner scene in them in them, in them as well. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Virgin's pretty little less, but I think they pull it off better in Last House on the Left when they're when they're eating the spaghetti because even the way they eat is disgusting. Yeah. So it, it's like, and yeah. that and the chick just chugging wine. Oh, she's 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 putting it away, girl. You know. Oh, she is just dumping that glass down her throat. And just as a sidebar, you know that shirt she was wearing in the beginning that kind of looked like it had a peacock on it. Mm-hmm. I swear to God, my grandmother had that shirt. No, nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys mentioned like the apathy that they they had when they, when they killed uh they killed um Phyllis. I don't think that Weasel had apathy at all. He just kind of had to look like. Dudes, we're on the run from the from the fuzz. Low profile, low profile. You know, yeah. Because they 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 were they were he was more expecting like a roll in the hay, and then you know these girls would would you know 
kind of like, don't tell nobody who we are, yada, yada, yada. You know, I think they were more expecting that, but Krug is a, is a cold-blooded animal, and he doesn't give a shit. Whereas Weasel's more, more like-minded to say, you know, low-profile. So when the, that looked at the evade, like, yeah, this, this is fucked up. This, this was, we just went there. It's like, uh, you know... I think it was like, more shit, that how are we gonna get away with this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it was more that than 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 uh than, than um the feeling of hey maybe we did something wrong. It's like no, the feeling of hey we can get in tons more trouble now since we killed. Yeah, these I girls. think you're right on that part. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I think, but you know, Krug was you know in for penny, you know in for pound. You know, if I'm gonna if if I'm gonna get but if I'm gonna be sent back to jail, then you know I'm gonna be sent back to jail for something. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, but there's Iris. You watch more of these than I have, but the ones that I've seen, like '70s exploitation films, there's a lot of little silly, silly bits in them to to, to fill out the to fill out the, the the 80 minutes or whatever. Oh yeah, oh, there's there a lot are of some silliness. Wacky ass ones. I, I mean, okay, yeah. well, every Doris Wishman movie is like 20 minutes of feet walking. All right, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> uh, you know stuff well, like that. So watch I Mad think... Foxes, and you'll see one of the most bizarrest rape revenge films you've ever seen. Okay, or, or bat pussy, the the girl on on the you know bat girl on the on the hoppity hop. Yeah, I remember the the episode. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, really, what whatever. But I think a lot of some of it though is you also have to think of of the the crowd that used to sit and watch this. Granted, it was probably mostly men that you know wouldn't really give a fuck but there were still some sensitivities so i think a lot of the stuff that was put in there was either to give you a chance to catch your breath or comedic relief which was what these cops were supposed to be i I understand i understand why it's there and this is very you know very in the very much living in the drive-in era but i just i and 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 i'm not even gonna say in 2019 eyes i don't like it i just never liked it i never liked the silly shit this movie because there's parts where it takes itself really seriously, and you know, and that and that's fine. But when you get to the silly stuff, it's like all this stuff is supposed to be taken seriously. Kind of, kind of goes by the wayside in a way. I mean, it seems you, like you, some of those scenes. Sorry, Gary. Um, good. It, it it takes the severity out of it. That was, I think, my main issue. But um, the film itself, you know, I I, I I do enjoy it. I do enjoy the things that it did well. Um, but it's only a seven point five to me. I, I I recommend people see it, you know, see how they feel about it. If they have if they haven't seen, it, I'm sure most of the horror community has seen this movie because it's it's definitely accessible now. It wasn't so accessible until that MGM DVD came out though, because it was right. always that that film that you, you back when they used to trade tapes. You could look at the back of Fangori and you could probably see a whole list of movies. I'm sure this was at the top of their list to sell and you know, conventions or whatnot too. But, um, it just takes something away from it. The, 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 the silly stuff for me when they're trying to be so serious with the other stuff. And I wish that the end, the doctor with the chainsaw, I, I wish he did more doctory things. Like maybe he like drugged them or something and then tried to do fucked up shit to their bodies because he's, a, yeah. he's obviously a surgeon. Cause you had the one scene in which, um, it's a, it's a, it's a nightmare, obviously, where he's jamming the pick into their, their 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 two front teeth and he wakes up and you don't get to see it of course but I would have liked a little something more as far as like him being a little bit more maniacal about it like this is the guy that just raped and killed my daughter and I, I think I should like make him feel as much pain as possible you know yeah like Marvin Sin City when he uh when he gets a hold of Kevin and he uh he's like 
that they got all this tubing for tourniquets because he's literally alive, amputated, and tied to a tree, yeah. you know, watching him cut his head off. And I, I love that amount of pain. I think I could have got a little bit more of that in this movie because him being a doctor and him being uh, somewhat of a surgeon, he knows every part of the body that would give you pain. I would love to see more of that, more visceral action done to these killers, you know, maybe isolate one of them and do some fucked up shit to him and then move on to the next one. This is me talking disgusting stuff, but I, this is an exploitation film after all, and I would love to see that. And uh, rather than you know, she bites his dick off, which is more. It is, I laugh at it more than I say, "Oh wow, way to go, mama!" You know, because she's literally biting his dick off. So it's just funny right. to me, you know. I mean, the, the before the before isn't funny, but the fact that somebody's literally biting somebody's dick off is it makes it's, it's very laughable to me. But at the end of the day, it is a seven point five, though. I I dig it. Um, but that's about the end of this one. We're, we're going to come back and close out the show. Evil has a new number. Welcome to my hell. And the devil has found a new way to reach out and kill someone. 976 Evil 2. The shocking sequel to the 1988 home video smash is here. Out of the darkness and into the light comes your horoscope on this dark and stormy night. Push 666 for your horoscope now. And so they keep calling the number because all of a sudden they got some sort of power that they never knew they had. You receive the power that you desire to fulfill your purpose and feed your fire. So nice to see. Good day, Miss Lloyd. And do drive safely. I've dreamt of touching you like this. There's nothing I can do to stop him. I'm gonna kick your ass, psycho. How does this guy get to be in two places at the same time? May I help you? Yeah, I'm uh, looking for a book on out-of-body experiences. Patrick O'Brien from No Holds Barred and the original 976 Evil co-stars with Beverly Hills Cop 2's Brigitte Nielsen. Yeah, you kind of remind me of, uh, of Iron Steroids. Say the sweetest thing. With Renee Awesome from Postcards from the Edge. I live, I die, I live again! Oh my god, Jack, it is you. The only man I ever had sex with. Wasn't that bad? I am a Jedi, like my father before me. I don't mean to be a stickler. 
But this is the seventh sequel to our original motion picture. Ah, it's time again in the sloppy second segment for, for you lovely beef listeners. Uh, <laughs> this time around is 976 Evil 2. Or 976 Evil 2, The Astral Factor. It has a couple names. Uh, this, of course, <laughs> is uh, the sequel to the original one. You know, and uh, Jim Wynorski is the director of this one, and he tends to pick up some shit and, you know, dust it off. These, I'm sure he buys these sequels, the rights for these sequels for next to nothing, because he gave us such fare as Deathstalker 2 and Beastmaster 2, and he, he <laughs> you know, it's stuff that I love, and I, I admire him for making stuff like this. And this, of course, if you haven't seen the original one, I'll give you guys a quickie, you know, thing about the original one. The original one... Uh, it's about two cousins, one of which is played by Stephen Jeffries from Fright Night. The other one played by Patrick O'Brien, named Spike, shows up in this movie. But um, Stephen, Jeff- Stephen Jeffries is a, a real milk toast dude, a real nerd, who uh, decides one day to call a, a horoscope number and later on imbues him with the power, like like, devil, like demon powers, and he gets some really awesome makeup and dispatches his bullies and, of course, becomes sentient and... And um, I love I love the original film, but this one basically takes the the the, the leather motorcycle wearing cousin Spike, and um, he's still on the run from 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 the devil apparently. Because uh, if you've seen the stinger at the end of the movie, you know the 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 the, the hotline is still very much alive, and um, runs into uh, a new crop of people. Um, the through line for this film is this 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 teacher or administrator of some kind who is killing people through he's able to do out-of-body experiences and able to kill a young co-heads that co-heads 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 <laughs> that he uh is in love with apparently he's a big old freaking uh, big old freaking perv man but um this has a couple great character actors in it including the great george george buck flower is in this movie and yeah um, yes indeed he has a great dummy death in this movie it's awesome <laughs> and of course, uh, Brigitte Nielsen plays your uh, your your bosomy uh, exposition in this movie. And um, <laughs> yep, let's throw this in right now and uh, say, Court, what do you think about this film that I think is is pretty great? What do you think about it, sir? Uh, this is one of the ones where a sequel kind of surpasses the original for me. I was never a huge fan of Nine Seven Six Evil. I can see the love if I would have caught it at a young enough age, but. I unfortunately saw it when I was older, so the original doesn't really hit me that well. And there's something about Wynorski sequels that just really clicks for me, and I think it might be boobs. Yeah, definitely boobs. You get you get them early in this movie. Yeah, and there's there's a couple of little hints and things like that. I think um, the director of the play at the beginning, when the girl gets killed on the stage, was Joe Bob Briggs. I don't know if anybody noticed that. And oh, uh, I didn't know. And it was like produced by Roger Gore, G O R Gorman, or something oh, like that. Oh, yeah. So that's one of the things Arnorski does. He always tries to throw little things in here and there to kind of keep it fun for you, you know, that sort of thing. And um, I, so I, I seeing those things was really kind of a fun thing to to go through. And I liked the idea of the astral projecting guy using like satanic powers because during the satanic panic astral projection and people like attacking you with their soul was like this big thing that the like Christian fundamentalist types that were like talking about how they had to battle the satan satanic, you know, priests or whatever that would attack them for trying to rescue people from their cult or whatever. Like astral projection was always the thing that they say that they used, you know, like that's why they could never get caught and they were always getting away with that. 
And this film like just kind of cranks that up to like a seven or an eight <laughs> quite a bit with what he does. Um, it, they, they're limited with the money and some of the things that they could do and what they did with the sequel. I really dug where the line is now stalking people instead of having, you know, Spike's cousin be the one that's using the line to gain power. The line itself kind of comes to life and just sort of takes over. And of course they're demons or they're supposed to be like the power of hell. So why would they, you know, go away? And why would they stop just because the main guy that was calling them is dead? They're trying to lure somebody else in and they eventually do. Uh, the thing that really stands out with this film though, for me is that sequence where the girl gets sucked into it's a wonderful life and it turns back into night of the living dead. It's literally one of my favorite scenes in any horror film is that scene. It's so well done. And Wynorski has done this a couple other times where he's had people end up going into movies and you know, that kind of thing. And I got to say, I loved this version of it and how he did it with the, it's jumping into it's a wonderful life, even more so than the stuff that's in shocker. And when the guy's running through TV channels and stuff in shocker, that's one of my favorite things too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's a lot of fun. You can't take the movie super serious because it's just, you just can't. I mean, there's no reason to, it's not supposed to be anything other than a sequel. Uh, and I know Wynorski talks about how he only wants to do sequels to movies that basically weren't that good. So he can kind of do his own thing and they would let him change stuff up enough. But he keeps a lot of stuff from the original, and I know he's disappointed in this one, and that might be why. But there's also some stuff that he's done sequels to where I love the original movie, and I kind of wonder why they think, why he would say that the original movie was bad, like Beastmaster. But I get it. Maybe it's not for everybody. It didn't do so well. But it's, you know, something that I'm obsessed with. I had no idea he did the second Beastmaster. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the second Beastmaster it says. I don't think the third one is, though, but... Yeah, he did Deathstalker too. I knew that for sure. And he's done a ton of these, you know, and he usually hits either like the number two or the number four. He doesn't usually do the third one. He's usually just like the even numbered ones too. It seems like in a lot of cases, but I mean, anybody who's seen a Jim Wynarski film, especially the kind when he was not doing the like Papatopoulos nickname style movies that he was getting where mm -hmm. he was doing like the bear wench project or whatever it is that might be named or oh, I've, I've watched those, you know, well, I'm not saying that I haven't seen them and I haven't watched them, but what I'm saying is when he was still able to get budgets to do films that were films more so than just like late night uh, Skinamax type oh, yeah. fare that would be like softcore sex porn almost films when he was and he still does some of those. Just now he can't use his own name anymore I mean, <laughs> because his I, name is synonymous with the other stuff. I defend Chopping Mall whenever somebody shits on it. I love fucking Chopping Mall. I'm a huge Wynorski fan. He just I, makes movies for people like me. I think it's one of the most efficient horror films that there is. It gets you in and out in like 75 minutes, and I got to admire that. And, you, <laughs> and you're, to, you're totally satisfied with it, too. Well, this one's, what, 77, 78, and some of that is credits? So you're talking like 76 minutes of like plot you have to follow, and then the rest mm -hmm. you just kind of tune out because it's credits? <laughs> Yeah, I love this film. I, I, I've always had a good time with it. I've always had, I've had a good time with the with the first film too. I've I've told Stephen Jeffries, you know, that that transformation when he starts cutting people's necks off and stuff that that was it's just fun to watch. But this <laughs> one, this one brings the funny, man. It brings the silly. I mean, the actor that plays um, the, the the teacher that that's in question, uh, Mr. Mr. Brubeck is his name. Where's they at here? I just had the damn link open. I think that's how it's pronounced, Brubeck. Yeah, Mr. Mr. Gruber, Mr. Grubeck, as is as the actor named uh, Rene Asa, who didn't do a whole lot, so that's why I didn't mention a whole lot about him, because he only did like a handful of things. But 
<clears throat> for such an inexperienced actor, he really hams it up in this movie in a way that I love. You know, he has like a like does like a TV commercial right before that Night of the Living Dead thing happens, which is hilarious uh, about the remote control thing, and he's talking through the. The, the lawyer's radio, I guess, I guess possessing her car so she will will die awesomely. That he his line delivery in that scene is pretty great. He's just an arrogant dude, and I love. And I know I don't know if this is intentional or not intentional, but I I didn't really notice until like this this viewing, you know, as 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 each time he leaves his body, his face gets more and more fucked up, and I didn't realize till this time around like where, where he was going with that. Like, why is his face so fucked up? But then I noticed, like, the burn marks on his face. Like, I guess his, like, furthering his descent into hell every time he leaves the body, I guess. Yeah, he does say something about how it's the, like, uh, the one guy makes a reference to how he's got, like, a map of something. And he says that it's the topographical map to hell. And it is explained by Brigitte Nielsen in her scenes where she says something along the lines of the astral body will look like what the soul is tarnished by. And the more evil the man commits even while in astral form, like it's even more so heinous and awful, the things that he does in astral form. So he just starts, you know, manifesting that physically in person because his soul has become so corrupt that it's starting to eat away at his physical being, I guess is what they're referencing and showing what's happening to him. And there's a lot of neat little like behind the scenes things about this. I was kind of like digging through some of the trivia and Brigitte Nielsen worked on this film for scale for like a day because she had a bet with Wynorski. They met at like a party or something like that. Makes sense. And Wynorski made a bet with her like for a pool game where they played a game of pool. And if she lost, she would have to do this film for scale. But if Wynorski lost, he would have to clean her house in a little maid's outfit. <laughs> and I totally see Wynorski not reneging on that kind of thing because he just seems like he's the kind of guy where he's like, yeah, why not? Sure. You know. But uh, luck would have it. He, uh, from what I read, it was like a really, really close game. But luck would have it. He won and he got her in the film for scale. And because it was like an obligation thing and she wasn't getting paid a lot, she came in basically unprepared and was just going to do what she had to do on the day. But I think her scenes turned out great. And he was happy with, you know, when they rehearsed a little bit and he got the dialogue in and everything. And she did a great job. I missed some of that because I was looking at her boobs the whole time. trying to listen to what she was saying because... Well, it's a Wynorski film. He does that to you. That's why you got to watch it multiple times and hope you can stop looking at the boobs. You got to remember, this is when he did the early 90s when she was still fit. And goddamn, she was. She was still looking pretty good back in these days. And But uh, <laughs> b- b- breasts aside, I think the actor who plays Spike, who I, I've seen in like one other thing, he was H- Hulk Hogan's brother's friend in No Holds Barred. It yeah, a like, lot of people know him from that. He is "quote unquote" known for that. Yeah, well, he's only done like a few things, and then I think the biggest the biggest issue is like, is it him or Peter Berg? Because they're almost the same kind of looking actor, you know, in a way. Yeah. Um, Peter Berg has worked a lot more, and now he's a director. But I, I digress. But his his character evolution in this film, he, he really, I don't think he really sells the, the the guy that's been on the run from the devil all these time. As, as well as he should have, but you know, the, the, it, it's I, I kind of love like the, the the camp of it, like uh, the, the phones keep following him, the beginning part in the bar, which I'm told by Jim Wynorski actually looked, I actually found a couple this time around. If you look at the scenes, every scene has a white rabbit in it. So oh that, wow, that's like metaphorical, I guess, for his journey, I guess. Yeah. The one I really noticed is when um 
the lawyer was talking in the in in the room to, to Mr. Grubeck, you know, the the real ball real ballbuster lawyer who gets killed in the car. You see the white rabbit, um, in like a, like a dry erase board above her head. So that was like the most obvious one that there is. But I, I was really looking around this time for the white rabbits and uh. I appreciate that he puts in fun little touches like that and little Easter eggs to follow, particularly since we're making white rabbit references. Might as well be Easter eggs, right? Yes, indeed. <laughs> and um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, mainstays that always show up in Wynorski films. Besides George Buckflowers, he uses George Buckflowers a ton. Uh, but the what you refer to as the ball-busting lawyer lady or the district attorney that's going to give the dude the death penalty, mm-hmm. that is Monique Gabriella, and I believe that... If they weren't in a relationship at that specific time, Jim Wynorski and her were in a relationship for a while, and she became a state like one of his mainstay stables of actors. I, I didn't I, notice because this is the most close she's ever worn to one of his movies before. So yeah, yeah, I was shocked by that myself as well. But yes, she was definitely way more clothed than what I'm used to seeing, and was one of my hugest crushes as a kid, all the way back to the uh, another Wynorski film. Uh, the uh, is it? It's not Transylvania Twist. That's the one with um, She's probably Ed Bigley Jr. <laughs> uh, Trans- no, it's actually... Yeah, yeah, Transylvania Twist is the one you're talking about. Transylvania 665,000 yeah. is that... Uh... Okay, I always get the two confused because I watched the shit out of them as a kid, both of them, usually back-to-back. Mm-hmm. But as the vampire in uh, Transylvania Twist, I fell in love with her, but also in Swamp Thing, Return oh, yeah. of Swamp Thing, was the, the evil guard, like, totally fell in love with her in that as well as a kid, so... I've had like a crush on her for like decades (laughs) and I always notice her when she pops up in films and obviously Ace Mask, I think you may have mentioned is the, the attorney. He is hilarious. I know why Wynorski uses him because he's got to be a total cut up on screen and on the set and just a fun guy to have around. So that's probably why he's in a lot of Wynorski's films. My my Uh, favorite Ace Mask line ever is the Richard of Swamp thing where he's looking at the porno magazine and he goes, I wonder what she's looking like with flippers. I love that yeah. line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love him as Dr. Roche. He is so great in that. And he's always going to be that guy. So every time he pops up everywhere, even in Transylvania Twist, he's Dr. Roche to me. So, mm-hmm. and yeah, he's in Transylvania Twist as well. He's like the Van Helsing character. So uh, you, you got to love the kind of guy who's loyal to the people that work with him. And he just keeps bringing them back to just do these kind of character roles and stuff like that. So it, it, adds a little layer where you kind of can follow somebody's career, even if they do kind of hide in all of these sequels and just kind of just taking whatever may or may not come their way to just kind of do whatever they can with it and everything like that. So it's a really good benchmark of Wynorski's career to see this film, especially if you haven't seen it yet. And if you're not really familiar with a lot of his stuff, because once you see this film and then you go off and start finding the breadcrumbs from the other movies that he's done, you kind of see like a through line of stuff that he's been trying and screwing around with and various actors that he keeps bringing back. And I think that's what I enjoy the most about this film. Yeah. The, the, I brought, we brought George Buckflower and there's a scene in the movie cause he's basically the witness to the murder. And this is why Mr. Grubrecht wants to kill him. So his, his astral projection body brings him out into the road. He, he gets, he gets hit by a truck, but the way Wynorski sets up this shot is, is that, and this truck is way far away. You could have totally stopped, by the way. I'm just going to throw it out there. But I, he's standing in the road, and then all of a sudden, right before the truck's going to hit him, they make a cut away from it, and it's clearly a fucking mannequin. And then a couple seconds, like a, like a split second later, all you see is fucking a hamburger meat, like, flying, like, he hit him that hard. And But the mannequin is a... It's, it's, got, a, it's got a nice charm to it, but 
it's so obvious when you watch it now. It's like, yeah, that's that's cheap effect that I love so much. But uh, <laughs> oh my god. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But but at the same time too, they have like humongous explosions and like things getting blown up like repeatedly in the film too. I mean, he spent the budget on the stuff that goes on screen, like explosions and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm forgiven the mannequin thing no problem because, you know, not every death can be super expensive. <laughs> no. Well, yeah, the, that and um, the, the end game for this movie, the, the, I, I, I hate to give this away, but I'm going to. But uh, Spike gets a hold of a book from our, our very bosomed uh, shop owner and decide he's going to do astral projection too, you know, for, for the very first time. So he can save, so he can save the girl, the girl he barely knows by blowing up this truck with this dynamite that he lights the fuse and the fuse is, you can tell the fuse is not a very long fuse, but it lasts just long enough for him to go blow up the truck. <laughs> but the, the end of the movie is, you know, by the way, he was a ghost. And, and by the way, Spike came to help me and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But he's been dead for like an hour. So I guess you push that guy up a cliff, fucking murderer. So it has like one of those fuck you endings leading right up to the phone ringing again and him him laughing because he's still very much alive, I guess, in the spirit. We wouldn't know because we never got 976-03 and makes me sad, people, is all I'll say about that, you know? Yeah, it comes it comes in really well where it would be a neat thing where maybe Spike and him are spirits that are duking it out and dueling it out. But, I mean, if you really think about it, that's basically the plot line to Shocker, so just pretend like Shocker is 976-03. <laughs> Like, like Mr. Wodorski never took something from somebody else. Well, bar- borrowed, but he, he he did homage to it as they would homage. Say. Yeah, yes. he he's more of a tributary type of guy. You know, whether or not you feel he does it well, that's up to you. But he is a tributary type of guy. Uh, hard to die is die hard with titties and lingerie models. You know. Yeah, it's basically the plot line of his sorority house massacre too, just done in a uh, high rise. And why the fuck is that not on Blu-ray yet? Uh. I'll, I'll wait it out like everybody else, man, you know. She's like one of those Vincent titles are going to drop one day, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> no, Wodorski got as much as he could out of these actors, and well, a lot of acting performances I love, and he, again, none of those films, you gotta, you got to realize what kind of film you're in, and you, you either can have fun with it, and, or just like bitch about it, so just don't bitch about it in front of me, because I know what kind of movie I'm watching, and uh... <laughs> uh Corey, anything else I'd like to say about it? What do you give one to ten? Um, I think I've said just about everything that we needed to say, at least on my side, as far as what I did and didn't like about it. I got to talk about Ga- Monique Gabrielle and uh, also Ace Mask. I-, I told you some of the behind-the-scenes trivia and all of that kind of stuff, but uh, this is one of the more fun sequels that Wynorski has done, and I'm sorry that he doesn't like it. But I actually really, really dig it, and it's just the right level of batshit crazy and fun and quirky and weird with some experimental stuff to where I, when we when we decided that I was going to come on and be kind of like a co-host for this as regularly as I could do it, this was the first thing that I thought of. And I think I even asked you, I'm like, did you do 976 Evil yet? 976 Evil 2 yet? <laughs> it was like one of the first ones that I wanted to cover. So total blast. I'm going to give this a straight eight. It's not the greatest fucking movie in the world, but it is entertaining as shit, and it's one of those I really dig. Yeah, I, I have to go a little bit lower than you. I'm going to give it a seven. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun, and I, I recommend anybody to watch it. I think it's on one of those Lionsgate 8-packs. You can get it for, like, next to nothing with, like, a 
Class of 1999's on that those discs. There's there's some good gems on that eight pack. So if you can still find one, I yeah. recommend going to get it. You can get it cheap. So I, I recommend it's, it. It's also on Amazon Prime if you just want to watch it and yeah, you don't want to yeah. buy a bunch of movies as well. So it's it's available if you're a Prime subscriber. You can watch that at no additional charge. That's how I've watched it. And it's been on there for a while. I've watched it like two or three times over the years. Yeah, I watched I've had it Prime. that way too, so it's it's there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I forgot about that for. It's just uh yeah. This is the only film that I did watch on there and uh but um yeah, we'll leave it at that. And uh as our buddy Eric would say, we'll see you guys all again in part two. Scott, uh I'm I hope you enjoyed your cinema beef experience, my brother. Uh <laughs> it's been a pleasure having you, by the way. Yeah, thank you, man. This was so much fun being on here with you guys. It was a blast and be able to talk about these films. Like I've, I never get a chance to talk about films like this very often. Uh, and I was hoping to one of these days introduce these to poor Tim. Cause I don't think he would have been too happy, but I would have loved to seen his reaction, <laughs> but yeah, thank you very much for having me on here. This was so much fun. Oh man. You have anything to pimp at all? You could, you could push it right now, man. All right, yeah, so uh, you can uh, find me. Uh, we got, I think we're 10 episodes in with the podcast by the cemetery, which we're on Legion Podcast Network. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, like I said, our last episode was back in February. It was a Black History Month episode where we covered Candyman and Sugar Hill. And I'm hoping that at least um, one of my co-hosts and I will be starting something back up, whether it's going to be straight up horror films or kind of adventuring to all genres. We haven't really decided yet, but we are going to be coming back at some form or another. Our podcast name may change, but we'll still stay on the same feed and whatnot there as well. Um, but for now, you can check out what we've done already on. Uh, we're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podbean and like I said, Legion Network. And we have a Facebook group. Uh, the podcast by the cemetery where you can, where I've been basically just making my posts about what I've been watching for Halloween and I'll share news articles there here and there and just try to, I've been trying to revive the group cause we were kind of quiet there for a bit. And thankfully I have some awesome group members in there that have been keeping it alive for us, but yeah, it's pretty. Oh, and also you can check out uh, my articles that I write for pophorror.com. I either, I will do some indie horror film reviews, but mainly I am now the uh, lead writer for the video game section. So we've been covering a lot of video games and things like that. So check me out there if you want to see some other things that I do. Cool. Iris, you guys just well, record, recorded an episode last night. Uh, tell us all about it. Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. Um, we just recorded. Uh, we did Fan Ice Boulevard. Awesome. And also, uh, was Fine Eyes Boulevard? And, oh, uh, Women Behind Bars. Uh, and nice. those were fun. Those were fun. Um, of course, we rated one movie better than the other one, and one has Leia's butthole in it, the other one doesn't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was lots of fun, uh, besides hairy buttholes and, and little clits being shown. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so and, yeah it is fun and if you want to find us we are at exploitationfilmclass.com as opposed to big clips you know so yeah <laughs> I'd say speaking oh. of no I'm not going to do that though what's going on <laughs> 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 
the discussion on, on especially women behind bars. You guys got to listen to it because, oh, my God. Listen to that yeah, transition, man. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, what you got coming up, girl? Um, well, NFW is doing a month of Halloween. I unfortunately was absent last week because I was sick. I'll be absent tomorrow night because I got invited to go do horror movie trivia downtown. And nice. I guess anyone stands a chance of beating me. So keep your eye out for the NFW podcast. And I think we're doing a trivia thing next week. Mm. But as always, that is on the Horrorphilia Network. And that's about it. Yeah. This show, uh, the two Drink Venom commentaries sometimes, they are both can be found on legionpodcast.com. Um, Fleas and Flicks charity auction is the thing that happens the second weekend of December. Uh, come show out on the Facebook event page. You guys can bid on the items there as of when they drop. I think I start at noon. or No, I think it's like 6 o'clock in the evening. I forget when. We'll, we'll, we'll hammer out the details as, the, as they come. It's coming real soon. And I have more stuff coming for it, so uh, look for announcements. Um, yeah, I, I just made an appearance on a friend of mine's podcast, and I sound really nonchalant about it either. It, I really shouldn't. Uh, my friend Roger started a podcast called the Roger and Stone Podcast, and I was on there talking about the Joker again for about, I don't know, an eighth of the show, and the rest of us just shooting <laughs> the shit about whatever. Like, like, like we do. We've been friends since uh, I've been in high school, so that was a long time ago. Uh, I feel it in my bones every day how long ago that was. Goddamn old age. I know that feeling. Yes. Oh, oh, babies, please. When you can say that you've graduated almost 40 years, well, shit, more, yeah, 30, 33 years ago? No. Oh, my God, no, 43 years ago. Jesus. Iris, don't, don't show your age, babe, okay? I'll, I'll, <laughs> all I know is when I get oh, I already shared my age. Then come talk to me, okay? <laughs> if I get out of bed and I hear my knees talking to me, you know, then you know, then I know my knees are, are hurting. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's all good though. I sound like Mark Marin now talking about his fucking old age. That's a part. Of, that's, that's a part of that show. Every time I stand up, something makes a noise, and I don't like that. Although You're Marin, right. Although Marin has Rick Baker on his show this week, so I heard it's very entertaining. So I recommend going to listen to that. You know, so um, besides that, nothing else really. Twitter at GW. Twitter at Cinebeefcast. I uh I actually re- restarted the Instagram page that I never ever used. So Instagram is at beefybeard22 for for me. And for the, <laughs> yes. Nice. Uh, so that's happening, and um, not much else really. But um, like I said, next show we're gonna do uh two films. Uh, one involving the Wicker Man, and the other involving uh I forget what the damn title of the movie is called now. Is it Eye of the Devil, Suzanne? I think it is. Eye of the Devil. Yeah, it's called Eye of the Devil. Both both basically sacrificing people for crops. And I think it works really well. Except one has Britt Eklund's naked body, naked body in it, and uh, the other one does not. So yeah. that, one, that one might win, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, we're not going to get the beautiful ha, 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 for the Wicker Man. Are we watching the other one? I don't know. We, we should watch both of them just because. Uh, cause Suzanne yes, we should. Oh, no, no, no. no. Suzanne, Suzanne hates remakes. Yeah. Oh. That's, that's a whole other podcast, Suzanne Hates Remakes. You know, yeah, that could be a whole podcast yeah. on its own. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> every episode, Suzanne's not here because she ain't watching that shit. You know, I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But this is the end. <laughs> the end, my friends. Um, remember, at the always here at the Sin Beef Podcast. If you got beef, we've got the grinder. See you next time. Make up your mind. Decide to walk with me around the lake tonight. Around the lake tonight.